0: You're listening to episode 189, Building a Healthy Life with Justin Nault.
1: Universe comes along with Savannah, and the next thing I know, I'm down this rabbit hole of you know, the U.S. government and big food and big pharma and the healthcare system, which I call the sick care system, oh, yeah. and just that it has permeated every single inch of American culture. You cannot escape it. And that's what led me, like the injustice of that is what led me to to actually start helping people and, and putting, putting the message out and recording things and podcasts and Facebook lives and, and all that.
0: This is the dance of life. My name is Tutor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. Mm, mm, mm. Man, I am loving that new intro. What's up? What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me. Gotta love music, man. I swear there's nothing like it. Music, dancing, friends, good food. That's what life is about. We, we take life too seriously these days. So I hope wherever you are, you're healthy, you're safe, you're having a little fun, you're listening to some good music. If not, make sure you always tune in because I'm always trying to find the latest tune to put in here. I've got all kinds of tunes. Uh, By the way, if you're looking for good music to add to any kind of content you're creating, highly, highly recommend TunePocket, TunePocket.com. I don't have any affiliation with them, but they're a really, really good resource. It's like about 90 bucks a year. You have access to near infinite amount of content that you can put for your audio stuff. So it's really, really high quality stuff. Without further ado, a little bit of inspirational mojo for us to get to get started on our healthy life adventure we're going to have today. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects by Robert Heinlein. It's a science fiction author. Really, really good quote. I mean, the The short version is specializations for extents, but I really like the full version of that quote because, you know, life, especially today, is one that is ever-changing, right? With all the crazy things that have already happened this year, it's a testament to the importance of adapting, Uh, number one, of being adaptable to change because you never know. You can't live an assumptive life 100%. You know, you really can't because things are always out of our control, even when we think Everything's going in one direction. Uh, something can totally blindside us at any point in our trajectory in our journey, and that's that's an important thing to always hold close. And the second thing is that uh, having a healthy life, building a healthy life, which is what we're talking about today, is so important. You know, when when calamity strikes, when things like you know this pandemic or whatever happened, but even before that, all kinds of things happen. It's so important to be healthy. You don't want to be caught in an emergency situation. And be sick, you know, and having principles that you go by every day, that you make decisions. We have to live in a very intentional life today, to lose weight, to be in an ideal body, to be in shape, to be healthy, to be fit. You don't have to have, you know, the body of Zeus or Hercules, but really just to be fit and as healthy as our genes allow us to be is really a journey. It's not just about necessarily eating the right things, but it's a combination of Of all kinds of things. So we're going to be diving into that today. My awesome, awesome guest I want to share with you is Justin Nault. He's the founder and CEO of Clovis, a health and wellness brand dedicated to building communities of like-minded individuals, building a healthy life together. As a certified nutritional therapist and health coach, Justin has helped transform the lives of over 1,500 people in just the last 18 months with Clovis. He hosts the Clovis Culture Podcast and invented the popular line of paleo-friendly superfoods, the Perfect Paleo Powder. Like many before him in the health and wellness industry, Justin didn't choose nutrition. Nutrition chose Justin. Tragic events in Justin's family life led to an unwavering desire to fight the injustice of the sick care system in America. Justin's mission is to impact lives for the better and to help them escape the ever-growing epidemic of chronic disease. Apart from Clovis, Justin is a lifelong professional musician, and his original music can be found on all major platforms and feature films and TV shows. His music videos are popular on YouTube, and he still performs regularly around the country. He's a biohacker, a fitness enthusiast, and holds the rank of Purple Belt in Jiu-Jitsu. If you want to follow Justin, you can go to IamClovis.com or check him out on Instagram at the Culture. That's also on Facebook as well. As well as YouTube. And for anybody listening today, I'm going to put a link in the blog post. This is again episode 189. Go to slash podcast and check out the blog post for this. Justin is offering uh, two free ebooks. One is called A Perfect Fat Loss Guide ebook, and he's going to give that away for free. So you can download that through the special link on our website. Uh, and also a coronavirus ebook that's also going to be on there. Super important stuff. Really awesome. Justin's had so many like crazy transformations through his program. So you'd make sure you want to really download that and, and check it out if you're interested in getting a healthier weight, getting back into you know a good body and all this kind of stuff we're gonna be talking about today. So again, yeah, you know, today we're talking about building a healthy life. Justin is an expert in this field and he's coached so many people on making good decisions about living a healthful life that's in alignment with good principles you know, we're going to be unpacking all kinds of things like keto and dieting and macronutrients and should you eat meat? Should you be vegan? All these kinds of things that are today, again, we're living in a very intentional life because there's so many choices. There's so many choices when it comes to what you need to put in your body. You know, what kind of supplements, what kind of diet should you have? How should you eat? When should you eat? Should you fast? Should you not intermittent fast? All kinds of questions we have to constantly ask ourselves. We live in a very different environment very different than our grandparents and and people before that so today we're going to get into all that stuff i'm super excited to share this conversation with you and and help you gain some tools to live a healthier life man that's what it's all about if you like this kind of stuff make sure you subscribe share it with your friends send it to one person today and change their life you never know what trajectory that's going to alter and without further ado, my friends, let's get into this conversation. Let's get into building a healthy life with Justin Nault. Here we go. What's up, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us today. We are back for another episode on the Dance of Life my awesome guest today is Justin Nault of Clovis. What's up, dude? Good to have you on the show.
1: Hey, man. I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Man, I am so stoked. I have literally like a whole page of amazing health questions that I've been wanting to dig into, especially in the last, we just talked a little bit off the air before we got started, but in the last couple months, especially, I've been really digging into health and getting back into it, you know, especially with all the athletic stuff that I do. And I'm just like stoked to get into it. So how, really quick, like what does the word Clovis come from? Let's get it.
1: Yeah, that. so Clovis is kind of a throwback term. Uh, a lot of times people will hear it and they're like, New Mexico, you know, because there's a there's a Clovis, New Mexico. There's yeah. a Clovis, California, all these places. So basically the the Clovis culture, like my, my Instagram, my YouTube, all that is all at the Clovis culture. And the Clovis culture is, this may change because we keep making new discoveries in anthropology. Um, but at the time when I started the company, Ah, uh, Clovis was the first known hunter-gatherer tribe in the Paleolithic era in North America.
0: Wow! Um, and they
1: hunted woolly mammoths with spears. They were like the first to really throw spears and take down these big, giant woolly it's mammoths. So like the
0: archetypical, so, pretty much uh, Neanderthal, like killing the mammoth and <laughs> yeah, spearing it down. That's crazy. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, man. And that's like the the where I started my company. Everything for me, nutrition, nutrition wise, started when I discovered paleo. So that that's was kind right. of my my like homage to to the paleolithic people
0: yeah you have a cool story you shared with me uh earlier when we chatted about the story of your powder mm-hmm. with with uh, your brother's little girl savannah and how that inspired you to start the powder which eventually led to the company and just the whole nutrition journey. you're a man of many talents right i mean you're originally a musician right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i've been a professional musician for 17 years so that's been the only way I've made my living since I was 17. I'm 33 now and I still do it for a living. So
0: I did watch that YouTube video by the way that you sent over. It was, it was pretty entertaining. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I like to throw comedy into the YouTube channel. too. So that's, I have my own, my YouTube channel for me, Justin, and then there's obviously the Clovis YouTube as well, but yeah.
0: yeah, That's that's awesome, man. So how did you, what made you start the road to nutrition and getting into, I mean, I guess we can chat about that story with your powder and how that that in- is, how that came about, like, what was the formulation for that what was the experience that led you to create that powder, which obviously led to uh, this whole shift in kind of creating the company and, and that whole journey. Yeah, it was the
1: dance of life, man. That's yeah, the, man, really, really I, I think about it. Um, for me it was it was uh fitness came first and it was yeah. that was all I've dug into this stuff really deep in the in the past few years, um, with like therapy and plant medicines and things like that. But it really all came from being a really insecure kid. I was a fat kid um mm-hmm. growing up and I can think of some like traumatic moments of being teased about that, like by adults that really kind of messed me up. And then, you know, I was a child like your own of the early own family or no, no, strangers, strangers. strangers. Actually, it was wow. al- almost even worse, I think. <laughs> yeah, that is worse. Yeah, yeah, and then, and I was a child. I was born in '86, so in the early '90s, like all I did was watch like Rocky and Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone and Jean Claude Van Damme and Jean
0: Claude yes. Van Damme. Yeah, those uh, are the classics.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, like like Time Cop and all that. And I just, I literally just, it just instilled body dysmorphia in myself. Cause I'm like, here is what a man is. A man must mm-hmm. be able to kill everyone with his bare hands and have more muscle than is, than is humanly possible. And, and, uh, you know, I talked to my dad about it and my dad, my dad has, he's one of seven kids and five boys and they were rough boys coming up. We're all like, you know, French Canadian hockey players. Wow. So, um, but he was like, yeah, you can't, he didn't want me boxing and he didn't want me lifting weights till I was 15. Cause I was one of the younger growth. kids
0: or one of the I was a, brothers, or the middle kid.
1: So I was middle in my family. My dad had seven. There's three of us uh, in my family. Yeah. So my brother's older. Um, I'm two and a half years younger than him. My little sister's five years younger. That's a whole rabbit hole because my sister's actually adopted from Moscow, Russia.
0: Wow. So
1: Yeah. Interesting story there too. But I was, I was the middle kid and um, yeah, I think just because of that, as soon as I turned 15, you know, my dad had a weight set in the basement. And I mean, from then on, it was just lifting weights two hours a day, running on a treadmill 45 minutes a day. And then I ended up, you know, taking all the whey protein and finding ephedrine pills at a really young age. And, wow. you know, my high school years was the beginning of the internet and e-commerce. So you could get whatever you wanted. You get ephedrine oh, yeah. pills, caffeine pills. You know, I was pumping like hydroxy cut and, and green tea hydroxycut, pills. And, yeah. yeah, man. I just, I, I just hated my body because I, I couldn't look like... Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, but I still kept at it. It was like, I lifted weights every day. I was a boxer in college. Um, Even when I got to Nashville and was was a performing musician, professional musician and all that. um, I was doing like all the P90X living room workouts and going to the gym and lifting heavy weights. And just, it was constant fitness, 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 but nutrition was never on my radar at all but you know, I was working out more than anyone I, I knew and was, I was probably like 28% body fat. So like by comparison, I'm probably like 11% body fat right now. Right. Yeah. So I was one of these stocky kids and I was a boxer. So it was like, I was a tough kid, whatever. And nobody would have really known that I was like smushy kind of like we took, I took my shirt off and grab, you could grab a hunk of fat anywhere, you know, but I was working my ass off and I had personal trainers And I mean, I was doing brown rice and tilapia in Tupperware five times a day, measuring everything out. I was like, I was so disciplined. I mean, I would do like those living room P90X workouts, like until I puked literally. Um, But I didn't have the nutrition right. It's like I'd do the workout and then have that brown rice and tilapia. Or if it was a day where I had a gig or something had to be quick, I'm like, I'm going to get the lean oven roasted chicken breast on wheat bread from Subway. And I'm like super healthy. You know, I was just following mainstream advice. Hmm. And then the catalyst for it was kind of interesting because I had this girlfriend at the time who just literally ate like Sonic fast food and milkshakes every day and never worked out and had six pack abs. (laughs) And I was like, there's no way this is fair. And it was kind of, it was helpful for me because like, it sounds so weird to say now, but like at the time, so when I was 25, I was on a reality TV show on ABC. So I landed this network reality TV show and like I had my YouTube channel and my music was available on all these platforms and was being on TV shows and all this stuff. Like, Oh, here's my music again. You know, it was, it was, really cool. And I was, I had a band I was playing with at the time that was doing great in Nashville. I was just on stage all the time. So what that allowed to happen was I was able to date people that I thought were astronomically out of my league. Yeah, oh no, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. Yeah. So I just, so that just allowed me to, to end up dating people that, that I really thought were like severely out of my league. So what happened with that is like the downside of that is I'm dating people that are out of my league and I have this tremendous body dysmorphia that I've carried with me from the time I was, I was a young kid. So, you know, I'm on stage all the time. Then the TV show happened. And I just remember thinking like, I still look at that TV show now and I had this double chin and I'm like, Oh, I was like 20 pounds heavier and like in this weird role where like you're a male, you're on stage, you're a musician. So you get this attention from females, Mm -hmm. but then deep down inside, you're feeling incredibly insecure, like you don't deserve it or anything. So I just remember I was so frustrated. I was like, there's no way that genetics are this unfair. Like there's got to be something to this thing. Um, So I actually Googled the words, what is the perfect human diet? Mm. And there was a documentary film called in search of the perfect human diet that had, that had come out like that same year. And now the director of that film, his name is CJ hunt. And he did this, the perfect human diet documentary, which is all about the anthropological data for the paleolithic diet. Mm. And CJ is now a close friend. I'm actually working on a new documentary film with him, which is really cool. That's been a really cool like, kind of roundabout thing that happened. Um, but I found paleo and everything changed. I, I did a 30 day paleo reset and just, effortlessly lost body fat. And like, I was still training like a madman, but I was like finally getting the results that, that I just never thought were possible. And it was all nutrition. And then I found like, I'd start experimenting. Like I started working out less on purpose or not working out at all and like still losing body fat. And I'm like, this is mental. This goes against everything that we're taught calories in calories out. You got to burn more than you eat, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like feasting on food and like effortlessly dropping body fat. My every aspect of my health is improving. And um, so that led me to, I just became obsessed and I went, uh, went and became a certified nutritional therapist. So that was the first credential that I got. And so the powder story is really interesting because the universe came along and just beat the shit out of me, man. But it, I'm thankful for it. It's still kind of hard to talk about. I get goosebumps talking about it. Um, but I had read the four hour work week and I had always been very entrepreneurial, like ran my own bands and my music. And I started my own publishing company and self-funded my album and all these things. Like I was always in that, that world. So I read the four hour work week and was like, I'm going to start an online company. So I started searching for paleo supplements and this was, you know, early 2014, there was nothing.
0: There was no collagen peptides, no paleo, anything. Right. It's crazy how much shit has come up in literally like the last five years, like how many products have just sprouted out of nowhere. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah it's absolutely crazy. And that's the thing, like paleo blew up, exploded, and the term got hijacked and destroyed. And I think the same thing's going to happen with keto. Honestly, mm-hmm. the keto term has just been so hijacked. It's such an, like, I call it internet keto and it's complete nonsense. Um, <laughs> internet I really keto,
0: hate I love that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that that's the thing is like, uh, it started with paleo and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to find a way to make a paleo supplement. Hmm. So I started um, thinking about what I could do for a paleo supplement. I was like, is there a way to freeze dried paleo food and like turn it into this powder. So at the same time, I, w- I was messing with this for like a couple of months with food dehydrators and stuff in my kitchen, literally just trying to do this myself. And my brother uh, gave birth, his wife gave birth to their daughter, Savannah who's their third child. They have four now who have three perfectly healthy babies. Um, Savannah was born. And within the first week, it was like something's seriously wrong here. So she was having 300 plus seizures a day. Wow. And they, Jeez. they thought she was epileptic and at first they gave her this diagnosis a few days in of something called Otahara syndrome. Um, so they were like, how the medical industry works too is literally like, here's your diagnosis and here's your antidepressant pills and your antidepressant pills. And by the way, your child's gonna die before they're three. Wow. So that was the life expectancy. Um, so we just lived in the pediatric ICU. My family basically I mean moved into the pediatric ICU here in Nashville. Luckily, there's a ton of great hospitals and neurologists in Nashville um but they did over a million dollars in testing trying to figure out what's going on uh it turns out it's actually something called KCNQ2 which is a protein malfunction in the potassium ion chain i believe in the brain um but genetic it was a genetic issue yeah, yeah yeah well and that's the thing is is it appears to be a genetic issue but they they are not able to isolate like they they somehow say like that my sister-in-law is not a carrier of this and my brother is not a carrier of this it's really mm-hmm. quite strange so as far as I know, she's one of 96 living cases in the world. Wow. So it's something that we know next to nothing about. I mean, you could find like Nobel prize winning neurologists and they'll tell you, we know next to nothing about human neurology. We just don't. Um, and particularly with something that rare, nobody's going to study it because there's no money that can be made on a cure.
0: Right. Right. It's not, it's not popular. I mean, popular, but like, it's not prevalent enough. Let's say that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. There's no market for whatever cure you come up with. So Mm what happened was I knew enough about nutrition being a certified nutritional therapist. So the reason the ketogenic diet is a thing, it's a medical grade thing that's used for epileptic seizures, primarily in children and infants. Hmm. So there's a whole corporation organization called the Charlie foundation. And all they do is they, they treat epileptic seizures in children using the ketogenic diet. So we got in touch with the Charlie foundation. They tried this with Savannah It did not work. Unfortunately, Um, nothing worked for her. But so the tricky part about this was then you get into the healthcare system and the U S government and tax dollars and all this stuff. So we're in the pediatric ICU. And when a child has these seizures, they want them to be on a ketogenic diet. So the way that they do this is they give them a ketogenic baby formula called KetoCal, And I have no problem saying the name of this company. I hate them. (laughs) I think it's Gerber actually that makes the, the products. Um, but at this point, my niece, she can't eat. She has a G, what's called a G-tube. So there's a feeding tube put into her stomach. Wow. Um, this happens with a lot of these kids with this disorder. Um, so they're putting this KetoCal baby formula, that's a ketogenic baby formula, into her feeding tube. So I just happened to look at the ingredients one day. And you can literally Google, Google this. You can Google KetoCal, K-E-T-O-C-A-L. And it's like the first three or four ingredients are hydrogenated vegetable oils, which are known carcinogens in humans. And that's the first four ingredients just to get that fat content way up. Cause it's keto. Wow. And then it's very, very low carb, but all the carbohydrates are artificial sweeteners like these nasty artificial sweeteners and chemicals. It's a chemical
0: pipe bomb. Basically just drinking poison. I mean, You're drinking poison. That's exactly it. That's so You're sad, man. Especially for kids too. Like that's so fucking sad.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I realized am I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is literally it's the standard American diet has infiltrated to the deepest levels of our culture. Yeah. You have the most fragile human bodies in the world. Now, this is subsidized by our tax dollars. If you, ha- if you have a baby and your baby has seizures, that baby's going to get KetoCal in any pediatric ICU in America. That's the product that's subsidized by our tax dollars. Wow. So I went down, now I'm sitting here working on this paleo formula and I'm like, I'm going to sell this protein powder to crossfitters. That was my plan, you know? So now I like rush order this and I'm just like working in my kitchen as hard as I can. I'm coming up with these formulas and free and I'm I'm dehydrating foods and blending them in a Nutribullet, all these paleo superfoods. And then I actually went and talked to the, the neurologist and was like, this is my formula. And then I hired a food and beverage manufacturing company to make the formula. So I'm like, okay, I flew to New Jersey, met with these guys. And I talked to 36 manufacturers first and they all turned me down except for one. So I flew up to New Jersey, met with these guys, made the formula, cleared it with the neurologist, started feeding my, I call it perfect paleo powder. That's my flagship product. Started feeding it to my niece through her feeding tube. So uh, that was crazy. And the neurologist, his answer was like, I showed him the ingredients. His answer was literally, huh? I never thought to check that. (laughs) <laughs> you have this thing, it's like these doctors aren't evil. Like, I a lot of people think I'm, anti-doctor. I'm yeah, anti doctor, I'm anti medicine, they're
0: just not exactly. educated and they're not evil. Every doctor wants to help somebody, but they're just not mm. educated,
1: yeah. So, that was it. I mean, that's that's the story of, of how the powder happened. And then I did, I released perfect paleo powder on Amazon, um, sold the first bottle on Christmas Eve 2015. And then now, fast forward, there's there's seven different skews of paleo powder, and I obviously have Clovis and all these things, but it all started. With, with that paleo powder in my head, I'm like, I'm going to make this protein supplement and I'm going to make a ton of money. I'm going to be a digital entrepreneur. It's going to be amazing. The universe comes along with Savannah. And the next thing I know, I'm down this rabbit hole of, you know, the US government and big food and big pharma and the healthcare system, which I call the sick care system. Oh, yeah. And just that it has permeated every single inch of American culture. You cannot escape it. And that's what led me like the injustice of that is what led me to, to actually start helping people and, and putting, putting the message out and recording things and podcasts and Facebook lives and, and all that.
0: Wow, man, that's, that's really inspiring. Isn't that funny though? It's just how the universe always sends us. It's like, we, we think we're going in a direction and it's like, there's only these little correcting mechanisms. It's like, Oh, by the way, actually, you're going to take a little detour here. And, and they're usually lovely, you know, it's like, they're always something you learn from these little detours and they take you on a path of service and contribution that, uh, that we meant for, I think all of us, you know, so yeah, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, man. I think really when I, when I look at what has happened, that's why I love the name of your podcast so much. It's just been brilliant is that's really how I feel about it. I think if I were to pick what I believe is like the purpose of life, I look at the term self-actualization and then I look at the term service and I combine the two. It's, you know, I want to go out and get as much wisdom through hands-on experience as I possibly can, and then share my findings with, with other people that might need it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a constant dance, isn't it? I mean, it's like, that's, well, that's the whole dance of life thing that I, that I wanted to basically portray through this whole podcast and the people that interview is that we're, we're always engaged in a dance of some kind. Like in this case, let's say that the dance between growing yourself and self-actualization and focusing on yourself and growing your skills, your ability to give value, your contribution to society, what, you know, all these things, your own health, let's put it that way. And the dance between that self centered or self focused work and the contributory work, the service to others that we give, right. It's the service between it's the dance between those two that creates our beautiful life, you know, that we're enjoying and that we're giving and experiencing to others, you know, constantly growing and also growing others too. So.
1: Yeah. I think if you think about like dancing is a great analogy for it, because it's, if you, Like if you personally are going to get better at being a dancer, that translates to you having a better performance with a partner. Mm -hmm. So I think of while self-actualization being very self-centered in a way, self-focused, the end goal for me of that self-actualization is service. Mm -hmm. The better, it's the the put your oxygen mask on first cliche term, you know, it's just like the, the better that you get, the more able you are to serve.
0: So true, man. So true. Like I seriously, you know, it's so funny. I remember when I started dancing 15 years ago, you're just making me think about this now. Like I literally started for the most egotistical reason. I I went, and dance at a club and this girl like turned me down after like a minute. Oh, and I asked her to dance with me and she's like, yeah, I can't do this. Like she literally just peeled me off of her like a fucking bandaid. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know what, bitch? Like that's it. Like next semester, I'm going to take like all these different classes. I'm going to get so good. You're going to want me like all these things. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, you look back at your life now, 15 years later and i'm I've combined dancing with like personal growth and you know you gratitude and health coaching and all this kind of stuff into a very uh i don't know unique thing I think, but it's just so interesting how our lives like you said like when you want to do your powder, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna be fucking rich, be an entrepreneur, you know like this <laughs> and that. and it and it still rewarded you, I'm sure you're very successful with it, you know many years later, but it's like it's just so funny how uh life always steers you towards those little, those little discoveries. So, well, I have a question about paleo. I mean, I, I don't particularly label my diet anything, but I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. I eat, you know, mostly high quality fats, you know, lean organic foods, uh, you know, wild caught fish, all that good stuff. Right. So I guess it kind of falls in paleo, but a lot of people who I don't know that much about paleo. And especially since you mentioned internet keto, Mm -hmm. I think it's a great point to talk about because I think not a lot of people know what paleo or keto really is, you know, or how to go about it successfully. So with paleo, I mean, a lot of people that I've heard as far as arguments against it is that, you know, we live in a very different time. For example, like people in the Mm -hmm. actual paleolithic area, whatever the plants and animals were different, you know, the later shorter lives, like all that kind of stuff. So, Can you expand on that? Like what is paleo and how does it actually relate to paleo, right? People living in the paleolithic area, what inspires you about it? You know, what got you the results that it did and why, like, why is it so significant for you?
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. And I mean, a lot of that is valid. So it's, it's to give you an example, like you could, you could just Google fruits, your favorite fruits and vegetables, and then Google like, like banana from 200 years ago right and it it looks nothing like bananas that we see in the grocery store they're they're a fruit technically Mm -hmm. but they don't even have seeds you Mm -hmm. can't actually be a fruit without having seeds like it's like Mm -hmm. they can't reproduce in nature without human intervention right it's like they these chiquita banana things it's like go to southeast asia and look at a banana it's like three inches big it's fat it's bitter as hell it's got seeds in it you know so it's like it's just so different and you're always going to have that argument. So the way that I try to spin Clo- um, Clovis or paleo, or whatever yeah. is, it's not really even a spin. It's, it's Rob Wolf introduced me to this term that really made it click for me. And he just said species appropriate diet, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of, of nuance here. Like if you, if, if you right now were to eat a banana and test your blood glucose spike, And then you were to fly to Colombia and live on the equator for the next two weeks and then eat that same banana, you'll have a different blood glucose spike and it will probably be significantly lower. Wow, really? So there's so much at play, literally how close you are to the sun, your circadian rhythm, all this crazy stuff. So the thing that drives me crazy about paleo is paleo was a brilliant way to just get people to understand a species appropriate diet. We're eating things that exist in nature. But then everybody comes and tears it apart and tries to make it fit this mold of American culture. So they're saying, well, what did our ancestors really eat? There is some archaeological evidence that once upon a time in winter, they ate like a tablespoon of wheat that they found. And that means that they used to eat grains. And you're like, no, literally 98 to 99 percent of their caloric intake was red meat from ruminant animals. We know this. Our ancestors were mostly carnivore. Right. So the anthropological data there is clear or people look at the blue zones and they'll say like, like I'm an Eastern European, right? I'm mostly French. And I say, well, the Okinawans in Japan, they eat a ton of white rice and they have centenarians. So I'm going to live in America and I'm going to eat all the carbohydrates because those Okinawans have a high carbohydrate diet.
0: Yeah, they're not factoring the environment
1: into their. Exactly. They're not factoring in the environment, the type of like most of the rice we get in America has arsenic in it. It's like really terrible for you. That's
0: really interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or just your epigenetics. Like, so I try to tell people, it's like, look, if you look at, if you're Eastern European, like you're probably capable of digesting dairy because your ancestors probably have. But if you can look back at nature, the way that I think of paleo, if there is a food that has made up a significant percentage of caloric intake over the last, say 200,000 years and beyond, then you will literally have optimal human health If you track nothing, you track no calories, you track no macros, you can eat to your heart's content and you will have no problem. The issue is 99.9% of the grocery store in your local town, including the produce section of fruits and vegetables did not exist where your ancestors lived 200,000 years ago. Mm. It's like, I love when, when vegans talk about environmental factors of something like cows and you're like, Hey, that, that avocado that you're eating, that came from Mexico and that got shipped here on a jet. Yeah, a cargo jet that burns fossil fuels. You never would have had access to this avocado ever in your entire lineage as a human being. And now you eat three avocados a day and
0: you know, so true. I mean, we're so used to going at fucking Christmas day at Walmart and getting whatever the hell we want when it's like, dude, I mean, I remember my grandparents, I'm also Eastern European, I'm Romanian and Mm -hmm. I'm still connected to that. I mean, when I was little, we used to go back home and, it was old school, you know, like I went, my, most of my cousins had farms, like it wasn't high tech at all. And so that was limited to what you could eat and when, you know, and most of the time, even when it was a time of season and plenty, you didn't have that much variety in your food. You couldn't just go to the store, like you said, and just get an avocado because whatever, there were no avocados. Like you might get strawberries, but that's it. So it's, it's interesting. We think that we're eating healthy and sometimes we're not because your body and particularly the lineage for where you're from environment wasn't used to that type of food and it might be creating inflammation in your body or whatever. It's not agreeing with you in some way.
1: Massive inflammation. And that's the thing is that we've removed ourselves from ecosystems because of the the advancement of technology. There's Mm -hmm. no chance evolution happens in such a slow way that it's just, there's, there's no chance that we could, we could have, ever imagine what technology was going to do that we'd literally sit in seats in a big giant tin can and fly 500 miles per hour to the other side of the globe and have access to whatever food and drink that we want and whatever fruit. I mean, like literally, if you think about it, you're living in like Detroit, Michigan, and there's three feet of snow on the ground and you walk into Walmart and somehow there's fresh kiwis and mangoes (laughs) and pineapples. Like this is, it's just mental. When you stop and think about it, it doesn't make any sense at all. So that's why that term species appropriate diet i have these shirts that i make with clovis it just says eat whole foods change the world Hmm. it really is that simple yes eat whole foods as they exist in nature but now we have all this nuance because you're not supposed to get blueberries and pineapples in when they exist in exactly. That's mm. the thing. And that's the idea of a species appropriate diet is, is like the argument that our paleolithic ancestors sometimes once upon a time ate grain every now and then that's because those were a starvation food. The choice was it's winter time. I'm going to nibble on some grains or I'm going to die. Yeah. And then in the summertime, they'd much rather eat the buffalo that they killed. That's their mm. choice, you know? So the species appropriate diet thing really helps. And I give people this analogy too. I'm just like, Okay, if you want to not remove yourself from the ecosystem and think about human beings as a part of nature, if you were to just go out into nature and hike, you could hike for 10,000 years and you will never stumble upon a bagel tree.
0: (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, well, what do you think about the meat thing? Because, I mean, I eat meat. I don't eat like crap meat, but I eat meat and I've been... On both sides. I was fanatical about being vegan at one point in my life and it was just poorly executed and led to some nutritional deficiencies. And mm-hmm. now I, and then, and then I went, and then I swung the other way and I was like, ah, fuck that. I'm just going to eat, you know, eat meat. And I was eating at Burger King, you know, just <laughs> yeah, exactly, terrible, right. you know? So now I eat only grass fed beef, wild caught fish, pastured eggs. You know, I tend to avoid like bird meat and stuff, but the... There's a lot of arguments against meat and I think a lot of the problem again is in education. I think that a lot of the studies, because everybody's like, oh, you know, there's so many studies that don't, that link meat to like a shorter lifespan. span. These, there's, you know, just, I mean, the list is long. I'm sure you are familiar with it with like, okay, you get a lot of more methionine uh, amino acid that's related to certain longevity issues. There's carnitine that creates... TMAO in your digestive tract and that's associated with heart attack and whatever. Right. And then some people who are proponents of veganism, they say that, well, you know, our structure, our digestive tract is, you know, the, our, the way our hydrochloric acid is only in our stomach and not in our digestive. We're not carnivores by our anatomy. So what, what's your response to that and how do you integrate that in your own principles with eating and and paleo and um, I guess coaching people really on, on how to include meat in their diet?
1: Sure. I mean, this depends on how deep you want to go because there's a lot of factors there. So like yeah, you talked about the as deep as you want to go, man. <laughs> yeah, like the methionine glycine ratio is a big deal where people yeah. talk about methionine being this big problem, but then you can literally counteract that just by getting enough glycine in your diet.
0: That's yeah. it. And you can get that and from collagen, right? I mean, exactly. That's rich. the
1: yeah. And the, the, the proteins that I manufacture, the number one ingredient is all beef collagen peptides. Yeah. So I think collagen is important. Bone broth is a great source of collagen. Um, so there you go, get your glycine. I mean, you can literally just buy a supplement that is, that is glycine and take it if you want to, if you don't want to get collagen or things like that. And then you talk about TMAO, which is often brought up, I mean, just constantly. And it's hilarious because you'll have people that don't like red meat but are like totally cool with pescatarians, and do a quick Google search of TMAO. It is, it's gotta be 10 times higher in fish, even wild caught fish, like the TMAO is through the roof. And then you look at the, if you were to look at bonobos or chimpanzees or anything like that, the the argument is actually directly against what these people are saying about jaw structure, tooth structure, like we bite up and down where um, ruminants and things like that bite side to side. They have very flat teeth. We have very spiked teeth and we have these canines that are very sharp and pointy, like literally for gnawing things like bones, like gnawing gnawing tendons and and ligaments off of bones. We have all these proof of tools, cracking open bones and cracking open bone marrow and brains and getting at the Mm -hmm. organs and all these things and our digestive tracts. If you actually look at what happened truly through evolution is you have things like chimpanzees or these primates or whatever. They have big, big giant bellies that stick out and protrude. You see this at these giant bellies. This is literally because their colon is so much larger. And what happens is these carbohydrates, these digestible carbohydrates that they're taking in, they have to ferment. And the reason why they ferment, this is really, really interesting with primates, hmm. is all of this, this plant matter ferments in their gut literally to create fatty acids, so they're they're like kind of in ketosis. That,
0: like butyrate and all that stuff.
1: Like beta hydroxybutyrate, yeah. Yes. So they're actually taking carbohydrates, fermenting them, and they have a digestive system that allows them to actually be burning fat for fuel, which all of us should be doing, while they're having a very heavy carbohydrate diet. And if you look at what's happened with skeletal skeletal structure, our abdomens being very flat, we don't have the protruding abdomen, our colon trunk, our entire digestive system is just set up for meat. And what's really interesting is, is I, I give people this, I, I was told this by a doctor, a really, really high level functional medicine doctor. He was explaining patients that have like colostomy bags, meaning like their colon oh, has yeah. been removed and they have a bag. Right. And what will happen is if those people take on a carnivore diet, then the bag will only ever be liquid. And then if there's someone like a vegan or a vegetarian, they constantly have to clean this bag out because of this plant materials coming out completely undigested. Like we're, we're just not designed for it. Now, to be clear, I'm not a carnivore. Um, I'm not a carnivore. I'm not a pescatarian. I, I tend to be a bit like you. I look at the biochemistry. So when my niece was really sick, I was fortunate because I was working two nights a week. I did well in the music industry. I was comfortable. Um, and then I put this tremendous pressure on myself that I, I, I try to forgive myself every day for doing this, but I convinced myself that I could like save her somehow by studying biochemistry. So I was just like (laughs) studying biochem and these nutrition textbooks. It's like, I was, I was calling guys like Rob Wolf and being like, what textbook should I read? Like, I don't want to read Dave Asprey's book or Mark Sisson's book or this guy's book or that guy's book. That's the the problem in America.
0: Give me the real stuff. Yes.
1: Everybody studies diets. They study, think about it. Every single person, you know, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, whoever, if you ask them why they believe what they believe they went and looked into a diet. Yeah, so I had a I was at a mastermind you don't understand
0: in, in, the mechanics and the principles exactly they just look at the the diets yeah that's interesting yeah
1: I was at a mastermind event down in Cabo, uh, in Mexico like really high level I mean eight and nine figure digital entrepreneurs these guys are like they make me look like a kindergarten kid in terms of wow. business and I'm just sitting there this giant nutrition debate and these are all like super alpha like biohackers nerds and they're just blah 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 going back and forth and I just like raised my hand I was like okay you have cited like three different TED talks you cited Dave Asprey's book, you cited Rob Wolf's book, you cited that. And I was like, I just want everyone who's ever read one page of a biochemistry textbook to read, to raise their hand. Hmm. And I just raised my hand and waited. And they all just started laughing at themselves. Like they're really cool, open-minded people. Yeah. So they, they saw what I was trying to get across there as I'm like, look, you can't just study other people's opinions and then decide that this is now your life philosophy. Like yeah. some person told you, we don't have the anatomy to digest meat, or we don't have the teeth to bite into meat, and this is completely wrong and it goes against all the anthropological data, you know, but they read that somewhere. They read it on a blog or in some, some vegan promoters book or whatever. There's a lot of propaganda out there.
0: Well, it's so easy now I think for information to be disseminated and even products too, like we're just saying like in the last five years, I mean, fuck I, I see so many random products and like, I am aware enough to be like very scrutinizing now with, with what I choose to buy. And then like, you see some shit out there. Like I saw these molecular hydrogen tablets now that are super popular. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And of course the marketing is just brilliant. They have some hot chick there, like dropping her tablet in and Oh my God, she's just having this, you know, transformational experience and it's in you like you buy into these things. I'm like, there's no research behind any of this. You don't even know if this will fuck you up in five years, creating who knows how many fucking free radicals in your body. You know, There's no yeah. research whatsoever, you know, and it's like you have to be so scrutinizing and really do your homework these days because uh, there are, like you said, there are like a lot of opinions out there. It's so easy. I mean, I, I have read a lot of Dave Asprey's books and, you know, some of the stuff is good, but some of the stuff it's like, dude, you know, it's just, it's not going to work for everybody. And some of it's too extreme, like 70% of your calories from fat, I think is in my opinion, you may disagree or, you know, have a I, I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's way too much. You know, I mean, I certainly eat again, principles, right. Fat keeps you satiated. We need fat for hormones. We need fat for all these things. So yeah, you should have high quality fats and a, a greater amount. And so that they can keep you satiated. But I think I float around like, 50% of my calories from, uh, from healthy fats, I think. So last time. Yeah, that's, that it, that's great.
1: Assuming that your, your protein intake is where it needs to be. Yeah. Like I, I, I operate off something called the protein leveraging hypothesis. So, uh, this, this might help you in this, in this, you know, search yeah. for, for optimal nutrition is I, I tend to think of nutrient density and protein intake and that's really it. So it's, you have three macronutrients of fat, carbs, and protein. If we break this down, there are really only two macronutrients. There's protein and there's energy. So there's fat and there's carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So this, this constant incessant battle that goes on and on and on is because, well, some people thrive on a high carb diet. Some people thrive on a low carb diet and a high fat diet. But what they don't seem to realize is this only happens when protein intake is adequate. And if you are high carb, you cannot also be high fat or you will be obese, If you are high fat, you cannot also be high carb or you will be obese because this is an energy surplus. So that's the way that I look at it is like the most, and a lot of people think the most satiating macronutrient is fat. And that's not true. The the most satiating macronutrient is protein. So I tell people all the time, like try to, try to overeat protein, try to overeat a ribeye steak or, or chicken breast or something. It's it's just not possible. The satiation hormone is true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's what I tend to go off. And this is, again, I I just go off the biochemistry. If you have an energy surplus, it either needs to be burned. This is where calories in calories out comes from, which I think is complete nonsense. And I can dig into that if you want, but it either needs to be burned off or it needs to be stored Mm -hmm. and you can store very, very little glycogen. So, so all carbohydrates are glucose, no matter what, even fructose, If, if the fructose, which is fruit sugar can't be used by the cells until it is converted into glucose, so literally, the only sugar that the body can really use it for energy to create ATP is glucose. Now, the storage form of glucose is glycogen. So in your entire body, you might be able to store three to 400 grams of glycogen in your muscles, and then probably 60 grams of glycogen in your liver. So if you think about that, let's just, let's just be super generous and say 460 grams of glycogen in your entire body. Anything beyond that has to get converted into triglycerides and stored as body fat or it has to be burned off, right? Mm. So if you're a sedentary individual, the average American is taking in 300 to 600 grams of carbohydrates a day.
0: Damn, that's so much, man.
1: Yeah, more than you could possibly store in your entire anatomy is being consumed every day, day after day, week after week, year after year. This is why you see like why it's so difficult to become a professional bodybuilder. It's so difficult to look like the rock because you can't store a lot of glycogen. And it's so easy to look like you're at Disneyland and there's a 600-pound person who has to be in an electronic chair because they're disabled because the fat is spilling out everywhere. There's almost so no sad. limit to how fast cells can grow. Dude, and it's, it's so sad. And that's the thing. And, and that's why I do this work. It's like I've actually been through this. But like I've gone deep down you know, traditional therapy and all the alternative therapies you can possibly think of. And the biggest trigger, I think it was because you know, there's a story of me running down the street when I was little and this this car of adults just rolled down their windows and we're like, run, fat boy, run. And I was oh like God. seven, you know. Wow. So it's like the biggest trigger that I have, I have a lot of rage and, you know, I'm, I'm way into martial arts and boxing. And I was a tough kid growing up. I got in a lot of fights and stuff like my biggest injustice trigger in terms of what I need to work on trauma wise is in it, uh, my biggest rage trigger. I'm sorry. My biggest rage trigger is injustice. That's why I do this work. Because when I see the 600 pound person on the 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 chair roll themselves around, I know that this is not their fault. I do not believe it's a willpower issue. It is an information issue. This person not, now, if they're that big, yeah, there's there's some apathy there, and they're probably sedentary and they're probably drinking sodas and all these things. But I'm cannot... internal
0: trauma too. I mean, a lot of the relationship Absolutely. with food is is related to our own emotions too. And the, some of the, the things that we haven't worked through when we turn to food as comfort or whatever, you know? So.
1: Oh dude, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. There's a great woman you should check out. Her name's Trisha Nelson. She has a book called heal your hunger. Mm. Um, and it's about stopping emotional eating. And she, she revealed so much to me that like I work with mostly women actually like 85% of my audience is is overweight females. And, um, she was explaining to me that there's like a giant correlation between obese women who self-sabotage, like they start a diet, lose a little bit of weight and then self-sabotage. There's a giant correlation between those individuals and sexual trauma as a child.
0: Wow, so they really? actually
1: think of being overweight as a barrier because it makes them less attractive to males. So it's a defense mechanism that they don't even know that they have.
0: You know, it's funny. I, for some reason, I feel like I heard that recently I was interviewing another gal um, we were talking about women and body image and, and intuitive eating and all this kind of stuff. And that sounds really familiar to me. That statistic, that's crazy that there was some correlation, like a serious one in all, especially all our clients that you saw for, you know, rehabilitating eating practices, going through intuitive eating, listening to your body, all that stuff and seeing disordered eating. I don't even know disordered eating was a thing. Like I've heard of eating disorders, but apparently mm-hmm. there's also disordered eating like when you're, just have some sort of disorder around your eating like whether you're counting every freaking calorie you're taking in or those kind of stuff right between that and some sort of abuse you know in in younger ages so that's crazy i mean yeah it's so true man you know i mean with with eating there's definitely a psychological component of it but when you were talking about some of those things like with protein and and carb intake i'm curious how much there's so many opinions on this shit god like how much protein should you have? I mean, some people say a gram per pound of body weight. And to me, that's like, that's so extreme. I, Cause I know, for example, you know, like protein, it's not that you just take it in and suddenly your body uses it. Like there's a lot of digestive burden that the body has to go through to process the protein that you're taking. So if I'm, let's say I'm 150 pound male and I take in 150 pounds or 100, yeah, 150 grams of protein every day, there's a lot of uric acid that's produced. There's a lot of you know, like metab- metabolic waste that's produced from that much protein. Do we really need to eat that much protein every day? Well, so one gram
1: per pound of body weight, I think that that's close to what I would like to see you at personally. But yeah. there are differing opinions on this. And I don't worry about uric acid at all um, mm-hmm. until, I mean, really... For, I don't think that there has ever been a randomized control trial where protein intake has been a problem. So they've mm-hmm. done a lot of randomized control trials it's called RCTs um, for protein overfeeding on purpose and protein overfeeding wins in every category, like in terms of type two diabetes, type one diabetes, pre-diabetes, um, normal average people looking for improved body composition, lower body fat, higher lean mass. Um, so I try to explain to people is like, it, it's, it's, if you were to think about ribeyes versus pop tarts right if if i put you at a caloric excess and said you're going to eat nothing but 2500 calories a day of ribeye for a year and then your identical twin with the same genetics and the same activity level everything identical does the same thing with 2500 calories of nothing but pop tarts for a year the, the things that happen to your body will be so drastically not different the same
0: kind of calories yeah
1: exactly yeah so with protein I don't think that, I mean, it would be, again, because of the satiation that kicks in, it would be virtually impossible to actually overeat protein. Your Mm -hmm. body will just say, stop eating. So, what happens when people focus on the protein macro first, first and foremost, Mm. then their total caloric intake goes down by default because they're less hungry.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, because we tend to snack on carbs and all the shit that's crashing our sugar. So, we're constantly taking in more energy through this black hole that we're creating basically right i mean
1: yes so that term i used earlier protein leveraging hypothesis this is true across like virtually all mammals they've done studies of this on animals on humans and everything and what happens is the body needs a set point of protein so like the minimum you would want to get is 15 percent of your daily calories from protein and that's Mm -hmm. why it's so tricky for me to say like you need this many grams or this many grams because if you're a four foot ten grandma you don't need the same protein that i do swinging kettlebells and doing jujitsu yeah. You know, so it's, it's hard to come up with a gram percentage. So if we look at your total food intake, um, kind of across the board through globally, it seems to sit around 15%. I like to see people at 30%, honestly, especially obese people. So an obese individual, they need to just crank up the protein and get the energy ratio down as much as they can. Cause they're literally storing hundreds of thousands, sometimes calories worth of stored energy, AKA body fat that they can burn. Like the, the longest medical supervised fast was 382 days. This guy went from 456 pounds to 180 pounds fast. Not for eating, a
0: full, not eating for not that eating
1: long. at all over a year, right? 382 days wow. because he could now a person that's not obese would have died after a few months. If I tried to do that at 11% body fat, I'm going to die. Wow. But if you weigh 456 pounds, not only that, at the end of this study, He had no loose skin whatsoever. Wow. So think about people that lose weight from caloric starvation because the body kicks into these things like this. Everyone loves intermittent fasting now and extended fasting because of autophagy and apoptosis. This is literally the body metabolizing its own tissue. All of your tissue is made up of proteins, proteins and amino acids. That's what tissue is made out of. Right. So the body goes out and just starts saying, it says, oh, I have a bunch of excess over here and eats that tissue. And the next thing you know, you don't have loose skin, like the biggest loser people who just, I'm going to eat 1100 calories a day and restrict my calories. So the body never quite goes into autophagy, but it will burn some body fat, but it's not going to actually burn your body tissue. Then you lose 150 pounds and now you need a tummy tuck and you got to cut all the skin off and nip, tuck everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just super unhealthy. But anyway, that's, that's kind of a rabbit hole because we're really talking about protein intake. I like my, I believe that the Clovis protocol is adequate protein intake. But by clinical definitions and standards of the mainstream, it would be considered a high protein diet.
0: Do you eat more intuitive? Like, are you the type that you like calculate everything? Like, are you labeling, okay, oh, God, I got hundred grams here, 10 grams here. Or are you like, okay, here's my principles, you know, I'm just going to listen to my body and do more of the intuitive route. Like, how do you go about with your own diet? I love, love, love intuitive eating. Yeah. And that's
1: where I am at. I don't track anything anymore. Um, I, I just take my own advice of I eat a species appropriate diet. That's mm-hmm. it. And it's that simple. But so that said, as I compare it to finances, right? Let's say somebody comes to you and they have $500,000 in bad credit card debt. And you say, well, what are you spending your money on? Like, what do, are what do your finances look like? And they go, I don't know. I don't track anything. And you go, okay, well, we need you to track your spending to figure out how to get you out of debt. And they go, no, I really don't want to do that. And you go, I'm just going to spend money when it feels right. Hmm. And you're like, okay, well, let's think about this. Your entire system is broken, right? So if you're an obese individual, and I particularly see this in females, females tend to gear towards the intuitive eating thing because they've been guilted and shamed their whole freaking life that they need to eat less calories, which is bullshit, by the way. Every woman that comes to me, I make them eat more than they're currently eating. I just change their foods right so this intuitive eating thing there are hormones called leptin and ghrelin so leptin is the hormone that tells you that you're full and ghrelin is the hormone that tells you that you're hungry so the same way that like a diabetic is insulin resistant there's insulin in the bloodstream but the body's not getting the signal it's resistant to it you can be leptin resistant and feel hungry all of the time right literally all the time your brain is not getting the signal that you are full so it's resistant to this leptin It's called leptin resistance So what happens is I will have a woman who's, you know, five foot two, 200 pounds. And she's like, I don't want to do your tracking stuff. I'm an intuitive eater. And I'm like, well, you're 200 pounds. So this intuitive eating thing is leading you the wrong way. Exactly. So what do we have to do? Just like the person who's in tremendous credit card debt, we have to fix the system. And that means we are going to have to track and we're going to have to be meticulous and we're going to have to reteach you everything you think, you know, me, Justin from Clovis, like I look at a plate and I go, is this healthy or is this not healthy? And I know instantly the average American does not know this. We were taught the food pyramid in school, which is not only not teaching nutrition, it's teaching anti-nutrition. It's a lobbied pyramid for one thing. Exactly. So there you have it. It's like, how can we trust? You cannot, if you're, if you're an obese individual, you cannot trust your intuition. Mm -hmm. I want to get you there, but
0: we can't start from there. We absolutely can. You have to be educated first. And that's going to take a little more planning and structure.
1: Well, and literally like with obese clients, when we get them in a position where they actually start burning body fat. So I'll take on an obese client. They start burning body fat. They're getting tremendous results. And they're like, Justin, you're asking me to eat 1400 calories a day. And I'm just not hungry. I'm not, I've only been doing this for two days, two two weeks and I'm just not hungry. I feel like I'm force feeding myself. The reason for that is because they have a lot of leptin in their system, but they've been leptin resistant, right? They start burning body fat and all of a sudden their brain is getting the signal that they are full and it's actually quite difficult for them to eat. Like it's yeah, really...
0: And leptin resistance happens because each one of those, I think I read about this. It was actually really fascinating, man. It's like the body... When you have a lot of fat cells, they generate that leptin, those leptin signals. Exactly. The more fat you have, the, the body's saying, hey, like you're full, you don't need to eat. And it's telling mm-hmm. your brain like, um, you know, the resistance basically. So you become resistant to, to that hormone. To that signal. Is that correct? Like pretty much that yes. process.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. It's just resistance to a hormone. So your yeah. hormones are just the, the, the master signals of the body. Yeah. I tell people to think about it as like text messages. Like there's hormone, like one iPhone sends a text message and that flies through the air and then it hits the receptor and the receptor gets that text message. What happens with, with uh, insulin resistance, leptin resistance or whatever, that receptor is in airplane mode so they can't get that signal from the other iPhone. Then the metabolism starts working correctly and you come out of airplane mode and you get the 500 text messages that someone sent to you while you were on the plane. And all of a sudden you're like too much, too much. I'm you not hungry. I'm story. not hungry. Yeah, that's it, man. That's exactly how it works.
0: You brought up something really interesting with intermittent fasting. I actually recently like created a, a whole thing on intermittent fasting. Cause it's been, it's been a big part of my life, but I've, I've kind of, I guess, I don't know, slightly deviated from it or adjusted it because of, again, it's like you read all the fad stuff about it, you know, and it's become a fad now. I think everybody's like, oh, intermittent fasting, you know, fasting and all this kind of stuff. And fasting definitely has many, many benefits. But I think that there's also a lot of considerations too, like with everything, anything, right? Even with diet, like there's no, you know, one size fits all. And with fasting, like... You know, like you brought you brought up, for example, autophagy and you know ketosis and all these these different things that that are touted as like oh yeah this is why you know and so one thing that I found in my own personal experience, for example, until I did the research was like oh yeah I was doing it for let's say the autophagy benefits and trying to push that no eating window. But in my case, for example, like a typical day, I'll have to wake up in the morning and I practice in the morning for like two three hours, which is high intensity, like athletic dance moves, you know, so not eating or having like just butter coffee, you know, like it doesn't work, man. And one thing I, I started feeling hungry after eating like MCT oil with that, you know, and I I did the research and in some people MCT oil can stimulate ghrelin and can stimulate hunger and Mm -hmm. all these different mechanics in the body. So it actually makes you more hungry. It can make you more hungry than supposedly, you know, bringing on some ketones, which, you know, don't make you as hungry. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, this whole intermittent fasting thing is not really helping me very much with the high intensity demands that I have. And another thing I noticed was as I'm recovering, you know, as we talk right now, even in this interview, like I've been on the tail end of a recovery from some adrenal stress, cortisol imbalances. Right. And so another thing I realized is most people in this United States, Western world working our balls off, you know, and being overstressed, not taking care of themselves, let alone, you know, all the stress that's out in the world. They're suffering from some level of adrenal cortisol imbalance. And so when you fast and you're thinking, oh, I'm getting all my autophagy and all this stuff with my 18-hour eating window, you're stressing your body even more and, and contributing to that cortisol imbalance when really, if you look at the research, at least the ones that I've done. All those things like that are the anti-aging benefits, like ketosis kicks in 12 hours. Autophagy doesn't kick until like 18 to 24 hours. The greatest insulin drops don't happen until after 24 hours. So really, if you're going to fast, get the benefits of fasting. Like it's better, in my opinion, to just commit to like a day or two of no eating, maybe every three months or two months or something like that, or six months, whatever, uh, than to I don't know. It depends. It really depends. Again, it's just, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make a comment that fits every situation, but for example, in my situation doing the athletic stuff, I found that the fasting intermittent fasting wasn't that like awesome of a tool. I still fast. I do like a fasting with friends every, um, every three months. Now we're going to try to do like a little group, just getting together and do a little fast together for like a day or two, you know, just to kind of purge the body, get, get that out and do like a group thing. But The intermittent fasting. Yeah, it's been a journey. I've done it. I've done the 18 hours. I've done the, you know, 12 hours. I've done the MCTL. So what's your take with that? And what's been your experience? How do you, do you use it? Do you coach people with it? Like what's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I I think it's a, you're spot on. I I think it's one of the most misunderstood and most overused things. I think people are crazy with it and it's going to come back to bite them. Uh, I will say this about females because most of my clients are female. I never tell them to intermittent fast, but I want to be clear here. I believe in circadian eating rhythms. Mm. So throughout all of history, like up even up until like the 1950s, um, like if you go back and look, I always tell people to look up a video of Woodstock in 1969 and just look at this massive crowd. You'll be very hard pressed to find an obese individual. Uh, Yeah, that's um, true. (laughs) Yeah. Google a Beyonce concert in 2020 and nine out of 10 people will be obese. Hmm. You know, so it's like, we've literally deformed the entire species. And I know it's hard. These things sound harsh, but I'm saying this from a place of empathy. I mean, it's
0: true. It's true. You look at the common line between obesity and like high fructose corn syrup, and they're like practically identical, I think, from the last time I looked at it. But
1: absolutely. Yeah. So, but we look at these patterns, right? It's like for our grandparents, snacking wasn't a thing. They didn't have Quaker Oats bars and Laura bars and an apple and a banana every two hours. Oh, my blood sugar is crashing. I need this slim fast shake or Ensure or whatever the hell. It's the constant spike. So a lot of people are eating to like 9 p.m. at night. They wake up at 6 a.m. to go to work and they grab a bagel and a coffee with sugar in it on their way out the door. Mm-hmm. So like circadian eating patterns, I think everyone should do a 12-hour fast every day, right? Yeah. For 12 hours, you shouldn't eat. Give your colon a break. (laughs) Yes. It's super, super easy to do. And to touch on your your fasting statement of like, when people talk about ketosis, you enter into ketosis after your liver glycogen has been depleted. So we talk about that stored glycogen. Now, what you're saying is like for an average person eating three to 600 grams of carbs a day, they're not even going to deplete their liver glycogen until probably 24 hours, maybe longer. But if you have one of my clients who's following my protocol – it's not going to take 12 hours. It's not going to take 16 hours. It's not going to take 18 hours. They might enter into ketosis after eight, nine hours because they're living in a state of a proper amount of glycogen in their system, right? So it really depends on the individual how long they would even need to fast for to get those benefits. And then you bring up autophagy, which is the whole anti-aging thing. Autophagy, apoptosis is programmed cell death. Yeah. So autophagy is like, um, think of it as a NASCAR pit crew. Like the car pulls in, the cell has parts of it that are breaking down. They replace those parts and send the cell on its way, right? Apoptosis is actually programmed cell death where it metabolizes the entire cell and kills it. Um, But this is touted as like this longevity thing. But people don't realize that autophagy is happening in your body all the time. If you do resistance training, if you dance, you are initiating autophagy. If you sit in a sauna, it's great for autophagy. Cold showers, I take a cold shower every day. Great for autophagy. How long do you take a cold shower for? I do three to five minutes a day, depending five minutes. So I I definitely make sure I'm over three minutes, but usually three to five minutes. And then I have an infrared sauna in the house and I do 20 minutes a day.
0: Yeah. I've been wanting to get an infrared sauna. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, I'm curious because I've been doing the cold showers too, but I I need to time myself because most of the research is about three minutes, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah three to, any anywhere really from two to five minutes is a beneficial window for sure yeah. and then you have like the wim hof method and stuff where he wants to take 10, 10 minute cold oh, yeah. like that, But
0: that's some extra i have a buddy who does all that stuff and he does like ice i mean he just did a fucking like 11 day fast man i'm like dude, yeah that's some shaman level shit man i'm not there yet i've done like i think two days without eating and then i did couple months, like a year ago, almost I did this prolon by, uh, I read a book called the longevity diet by this mm-hmm. guy named Walter Longo. Walter and, yep. Yeah. It was pretty interesting for sure. And, uh, anyway, he came out with a product obviously to help you do a five day calorie restricted fast. And actually I think that was harder. It was harder to do five days at 500 calories than to do two days of not eating.
1: I think it's way harder. That was I, my crazy. longest has been five days, but yeah, if I were to try to do something like the the prolon thing, no, I think it makes it way harder. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there, there are tons of benefits for it and everything, but it's, it's really, we're going crazy with it. And it's like you with dance, right? So I have clients that'll come to me that are just feeling, feeling really worn down. Or I was talking to a guy the other day who trains CrossFit. And he's like, yeah, because of my schedule, like I'm training CrossFit at 5 a.m. And he's like, just feeling crappy and terrible. And I'm like talking about it. He's like, well, you know, I'm training at 5 a.m. But then I need to, I need to hit my 16-hour fasting window so I don't eat till 1 p.m. <laughs> and I'm like, did you say you trained CrossFit in the morning? And then you just like, he's like, yeah, I'm like super hungry, man. I'm feeling really crappy, but got to hit that 16-hour window. I'm like, says who? Says who you have to hit this magical 16-hour yeah, window. Exactly. This is nonsense. And with women... So the biggest thing, like I told you, every, every client that comes to me is overweight and malnourished, completely malnourished, vitamin deficiencies out the ass, right? It's, it's terrible toxins up. Exactly. What happens is these people come to me and they're like, I heard about intermittent fasting. So now I have women who are not eating enough. They're undernourished. And they want to hit that 16-hour window. And then I'm asking, that I might be asking them to eat 1,400, 1,500 calories. This is like blasphemy in America because we all know fewer calories is good for you. you So these women are already under eating. And then I'm asking them to eat more food than they're used to. And now they only have an eight-hour window. So what happens? They're doing intermittent fasting every day, 16 hours. They're eating half the calories that I tell them to eat. So they're not getting any of the micronutrients they need. And then three months down the line, they're like, my hair's falling out. I'm cold all the time. My fingernails yeah, I mean, are
0: so stressed out from that shit that it, yes. their hormones are out of balance. So they can't actually lose the weight because everything's screwed. <laughs> I
1: mean, hundred percent. That's, that's why I love that you use the term stressor. Like you're absolutely right. I have a, a podcast. If people want to listen to it, it's called stress sucks, which is a whiteboard presentation. I did that talked about stressors, like the word stressors, physical fitness is a stressor. Infrared sauna is a stressor. Cold shower is a stressor the biggest stressor of all is being an obese individual. Hmm. So the inflammation is rampant. You have systemic inflammation. People think I am nuts because a new client will come to me. And if they are obese, I am forbidding them from physical fitness for the next 30 days, probably 60 days. You will do nothing but walk on my program. And they think I am absolutely out of my mind but you think about it, like if you walk into any Planet Fitness or Globo gym that has like a cardio theater where everyone's watching movies and reading magazines, they're on the elliptical, it's all overweight people. It yeah. is all, over- you'll never catch me on an elliptical. I'm never going to be there, you know? But what they're doing is just more stress, stress on their joints, stress in their system. Fitness is very inflammatory, right? Yeah. You're literally damaging tissue. And now you're doing it with 200 extra pounds that you have to carry while you're running on the treadmill. You're crushing your system. And a great story that I tell, and she doesn't mind me sharing this. I actually have a pod. Her name is Jenny Carlson. And I, I do testimony podcasts. I get my own mm-hmm. clients on the, on the podcast. And she was explaining she was a beach body junkie, obsessed with beach body training, just nonstop training beach body every day and was obese. And I worked with her for like three months straight, the first three months. And from day one, I'm like, you got to stop. Go for a daily walk outside in the sunshine. Give your body some TLC. Take care of yourself. Self-care. She was not having it. So two months later, three months later, I'm not getting results. I'm not getting results. I finally just told her, I'm like, look, you either got to give up fitness and take my advice here, or I'm not going to work with you as a client. I'll give you all your money back. Everything I do is a hundred percent money back guarantee. I'll give you all your money back. Go on your merry way. I'm not the guy for you. Mm-hmm. She gave up fitness, lost 11 pounds in the first seven days of wow. not working changed everything for her. Her whole life is different now. That's All she so does crazy. is trains like exclusively very slow calisthenics, like GMB, like kind of animal flow. She has a movement practice. Now she doesn't mm-hmm. do intense fitness anymore. And she's been with me. God, almost, almost two
0: years now. Yeah. I bet she's much happier too. I mean, just Absolutely. just the relationship to the mind and the emotional just regulation and just body awareness. I mean, that's totally different. I imagine.
1: Yeah, it is. And the the other thing to remember is like, you know, I was in Minneapolis last week with my professional MMA fighter. It's like, I work with professional athletes and I work with obese housewives and the goals are very, very different. And I handle their programming very, very different. I train every day. I trained jujitsu for two hours today. You know, so it's like, I'm a huge fan of fitness. I'm not saying I'm anti-fitness, but again, if we go back to the food and finances. We got to correct things. Like you can go train jujitsu or do beach body or swing kettlebells or do CrossFit when your body's ready for it. If you try to skip steps, you're working against yourself. It's too much stress. Like you said.
0: You know, it's it brings up a point that I wanted to bring up and I just remembered it now when you, when you shared about your original story of just being overweight but working your balls off to like pump iron and everything and you're just not seeing results. And it brought up a big realization I had, which is probably – I would say the foundation of everything that I'm writing and talking about from my experience in dancing, which is what I've realized is kind of more, I guess a Zen or Eastern philosophy approach to life through dancing. And what it, what it's taught me is, you know, dancing is easy when alignment is present. Like when you're aligned, you don't have to worry about how the move is going to work out. And that's the same in, in life too. Like when, when things are aligned, you don't have to worry about the outcome. It's just natural. Like, like, like if you look at life, when everything is in alignment, it's just the natural state of life is to be abundant, overflowing, outward moving, you know, powerful, authentic. Like it just happens that way. It's misalignments that cause the problems. And then we get distracted by the individual problems instead of focusing on the alignment. So I think a lot of people today, especially as we're talking about all these like, keto, internet keto, right? And all these fads that people pick up on, they get so sidetracked with the symptoms or the outcomes or all these obvious things rather than focusing on the less obvious and maybe less glamorous or less exciting part of, Hey, I got to fix my alignment. How am I aligned in order to create the result that I want? you know, and alignment could be mental alignment, the things you believe in, it can be, you know, again, your nutritional deficiencies, because if those things aren't aligned, you could try all the fuck you want, you're not going to lose the weight, you're not going to, you're not going to be able, it's like, you know, like when I'm teaching people how to move, whether it's, you know, somebody who wants like a really high outcome, or if I'm just teaching a couple how to move, it's just, I always come back to this principle, man, of like, you could put all the energy and effort and work you want, but if there's a misalignment, you're just going to create an injury. You know, you see those funny videos on the internet of people just being idiots at the gym. Just, yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw one of this lady like literally humping a neck machine. <laughs> <the other day. laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like on what planet do you not even read like the graphic? But it's just it's right. funny. We laugh at that shit, but it's like, it's such a, it's such a funny metaphor for for more serious problems of like, hey, you keep putting energy in this situation, but you're not going and changing the alignment. So you're not gonna get a different result. You're just gonna get more resistance and eventually maybe even a bigger problem, and an injury in this case if we're using the physical metaphor. But you know what I mean? Like I think it's it's really about going back to alignment and looking at what what do I want and what do I need to change in terms of my alignment to get that result, to make it happen naturally do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I love it, man. I have a, another podcast called align your life for, for sustainable success or something like that. But it is, mm. it's the misalignment of goals and systems mm. and people don't realize it. And it's, it's like, like you do in the dance of life, right. Or me doing Clovis, my goal for for Clovis is not for you to look good naked. I know that you want to look good naked, the client or whatever, but that's not my goal. My goal is self-awareness, self-actualization to get you to a point where that works. So the, the alignment thing if we think about, most people don't realize that their lives are completely misaligned with what they actually want, and we go back to this intuitive thing, they don't even know what their intuition is telling them because there's too many obstacles in front of the of the intuition, right? Mm, yeah. So what happens is, like if you're an obese person and you're going to the gym every day and you're eating a high-carb diet and low-fat and you're counting all your calories and you're miserable all the time, you still wake up in the morning, you see yourself in the mirror, you're still fat, and you hate yourself, Right? You just do. You don't have to tell a fat person they're fat. Trust me. They fucking know, mm. right? It's, it's, it's all consuming. So I have this, this podcast called Life After Success because what I found happens is people have tried everything with diet. Then they try Clovis. They're like, I need to lose 60 pounds, but I've needed to lose 60 pounds for the last three decades and it's never happened. So they're convinced it will never happen. Like, I'll sign up and try this other thing. Mm. Then all of a sudden they drop 65 pounds. Now they're past their goal weight. And I literally get emails from people like, I don't know what to, what do. to do now. <laughs> yeah. So I talk to them about life after success. And what happens is people get confused because I might have a client that signs up for Clovis and they're still a part of Clovis two and a half years later. Mm-hmm. And this is because I now have women who have not only lost a hundred pounds, but they have left an asshole husband. They have quit their job and started their own e-commerce company or started selling goods that they make by hand on Etsy or they wow. moved to a different city or their relationship with their children is better. I had one lady who was working two jobs and was like, Justin's right, I'm not happy. We did a happiness uh, practice like this exercise, asking her how happy she was. So she quit that second job just to have more time with her kids and now she's super happy. So it's, I, I don't want people to want to be like me. I'm not trying to make my my clients love jujitsu and kettlebells or be a professional musician or travel the world. I'm not trying to make you do any of those things. I'm trying to remove the obstacle of health and wellness that has been the number one priority for you for fucking four decades. You're obsessed with it Mm. and you let the rest of your life go to shit. You got in bad relationships. You made bad investments. You're not doing a job that you love because you wake up in the morning every day and you hate your body. And you're just an ultimate scarcity mindset. You can't live abundantly, like you said. It's not possible when you don't love yourself, man. So I'm I'm literally just trying to remove the obstacles. And then you go do what makes you happy. Maybe you become a dancer. Maybe you become a yoga instructor. Maybe you move to a different country. You know, it's like, I don't know what that looks like for you. Every journey is different. But we need to remove the obstacles first so we can align your life for your version of self-actualization and fulfillment
0: that's so that man that's so awesome i, I totally vibe with a hundred percent of that because ultimately the external is a reflection of the internal right yes and so it's like you can tell let's say if somebody's got a messy ass room that inside here they're not going to be as organized so it's like your body i think is a reflection of of i mean discipline is kind of like a overused word but it's really a reflection of to me whenever i see somebody who i remember this quote by arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's something like, you know, he said something like people can see like a BMW or a nice car and they know that, you know, you got that with money, but when they see a good body, a well, a well-formed physique, that's a status symbol in the sense that that represents time. Like you can't just literally go in a store and say, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Like, okay, now I'm coming out. Maybe, (laughs) maybe in 50 years we'll be able to do that. So at that point that'll be a different story. But where we are now you can't do that you have to earn it through time through discipline through choices through mindset through it doesn't mean you have to be ripped like perfect body but when you have a when you have a relationship with your body that's confident that's in vibrant you know and invigorated and aligned it's also a reflection of your internal you know uh choices to some degree not saying that it's a hundred percent because i've seen in my industry plenty of people who are beautiful, but they're toxic on the inside, you know? So yeah, yeah. There's, there's that too. But my point is the, the external is a reflection of the internal and vice versa. They, they go together.
1: You know hundred percent. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. When we talk about things like intermittent fasting or, you know, the longevity movement and like, to be clear, like I, I love Dave Asprey and Rob Wolf is a good friend of mine. Like I read all these books and stuff too coming up yeah. and I was a bulletproof coffee guy for like three years straight. You know, like I did all these things that got me to where I am on my journey. These are stepping stones that are wonderful wonderful learning experiences. They work for people. A lot of the time, they're changing a lot of lives or whatever. But then you have these other fads that come in, something like intermittent fasting. We actually see this a lot in bodybuilders where intermittent fasting is, becomes this thing like you're talking about. It's like a magic pill. So they're going, well, if I only eat for four hours a day, I can eat all the bullshit that I want to eat. It's a free pass. They think yeah, it's a yeah. whole Your
0: body. will just magically digest 5,000 calories in four hours. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And
1: like all they're like, oh, I can eat donuts because I'm intermittent fasting. And you're like, oh, you like you get into crazy. so much trouble with these quick fixes, man. It is like the journey the, I, I love the quote. The journey is the destination. You mm-hmm. have to just be comfortable with consistently improving as a person, whatever that looks like for you. It doesn't more push-ups might not be improvement for you. Learning a second language might be improvement for you you know, but it's just the constant journey. That's what you, the journey is the destination. That's the goal.
0: Reminds me of a quote I often come to, which is water did not break the rock because of its power. It broke it because of its consistency.
1: Absolutely. I love that.
0: It's just like, you know, we like with the whole eating in a four hour window thing, it's like, we think, I think it's just, it's a reflection of our American primarily like Immature, masculine, energy driven society of like, yeah, go and fucking do it. And we're just going to mm-hmm. knock it out. And it's like, you're not listening to your body. And you think you're just going to put all that food within a short amount of time and it's just going to magically like turn into energy. Like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, your body, yeah. you need to listen to your body. You need to be consistent and eat at the same times and respect it and listen to it. All these kind of things, you know, that we. That are not obvious, you know, like, especially I think for guys, I think it's, I mean, you can tell me what your experience has been, but for example, my experience, I mean, I'm 35 now and it's taken me some years and certainly coming to certain periods of burnout to finally not um, override my body with my mind. If that makes any sense, like basically like listen to my body, be more intuitive, go slower, but that doesn't necessarily sacrifice results. You know what I mean? Like listen to alignment, which is a non-obvious thing rather than outcome, which is very obvious. So like, again, and kind of the whole thing I've learned through dancing and again, it's a lot of Zen stuff, you know, but yin and yang, it's like you've got the obvious masculine drive to like, okay, give me the outcome. How much do I need to push? Like all this kind of stuff. Whereas really the greater impact to that outcome is the things that you don't see, the things that require you to listen, the things that require you to be patient, disciplined, consistent, all these things that are like more feminine, quote unquote energy. And we don't, I think, like I said, as guys, we don't tend to learn that until later in life when the energy for me, it happened when the energy wasn't there anymore. And I'm like, fuck, I'm tired. Like, okay. I can't just push through this and just be macho man. I got to do something else. And so that's prompted me to learn a lot. So I don't know what your experience has been with that.
1: Dude, it's like we're twins. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> particularly with where I came from with, you know, all, all of my heroes growing up, it was for me, it was pumping iron. It was just yeah. no pain, no gain. I was really like a masochist and um, it's been really hard. A lot of like, like I, I love this side of things, by the way, like I'm very open in the podcast about my personal journey with, traditional therapy and and everything that I've done all around the world, really. Like I've worked with a lot of people around the world on on trauma and things like that, a lot of men's group and cause it is, it's tricky for males. And, and uh, so I have this thing that I've shared with people that's called my motherfucker voice. And it's just my whole life. I've had this little voice in my head that like anytime I don't lift enough weight or I fail on a set or I screw up something, a business decision or whatever and say, like, you motherfucker. Hmm. And that's me talking to myself. It's so masculine and it's 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 the it is the toxic masculinity, right? Like if you look at what that actually is, a lot of things people say are toxic masculinity that I don't think are, but yeah. that is a good version of it. It's like I literally would just beat myself down and punish myself. And it was like, if I was sad, I'm like going to go squat 300 pounds and sit in the sauna for an hour until it hurts. Yeah, punish yourself, <laughs> punish myself, just punishment. Or even like martial arts was really great for me because when I, when I first got into jujitsu, I was a white belt with a 425 pound deadlift. So I'm like, I'm just going to squeeze the fuck out of everybody. I'm just going to put out my entire effort all the time and crush everyone. <laughs> and then 130 pound black belt just effortlessly dismantles me in 15 seconds so and he's not Jiu jitsu
0: would totally be the route by which life would undo your previous mode of thinking do you know what i mean like exactly being super ultra masculine like yeah i did jiu-jitsu too and i remember f- coming to that same realization it's like you can't jiu-jitsu is not the type especially jiu-jitsu that you can just be like yeah i'm gonna fucking push through this because jiu-jitsu was made for exactly that type like the bigger yes. they are the harder they fall
1: <laughs> yeah 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 literally i mean that's it and so it was it was crazy for me i mean that that was really that carried over in a lot of my other life but yeah i'm just saying like i i man i agree so much with what you're saying and it, it rings true in my life in a big way I, I i spent years and years and years punishing myself and and oddly enough had a, had a genetic analysis done my dna analyzed by a guy named dr anthony j who's brilliant this is actually on the podcast by the way by the way he did my analysis live and uh, he told me that I have uh, a genetic disposition. One of my genetic snips is I have a very, very high pain tolerance. Oh, really? So he's like, wow. it's actually bad. He's like, you're the type of guy that could be like really overdoing it in the gym and hurting himself and not mm-hmm. know it. And I'm like, oh, that explains 99% of my life. <laughs> like, wow. That makes such perfect sense because I was just a masochist, man. It was like, I had to be the most masculine, the most alpha, the most badass. And man, I... I hurt myself in a lot of ways. I, I, I want to tell people, you know, like for an average person who's like, if you're trying to be a UFC fighter, your life is going to involve a lot of pain, right? Yeah. But if you're an average person trying to live a life of happiness and optimal health and wellness, you're not trying to look like a magazine cover model. Virtually nothing that you do to get there will be in any way, shape or form painful. Virtually
0: nothing. I'm telling you, I promise you, so it's, yeah, and that's, it's so strange for people. Exercise. Like, you know, to live, yeah. there's that 80, 20 rule, like 20% of the effort gives you 80% of the results. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't, I think they proved that like to get the minimal benefits of exercise, you just need to walk like what, three, three times a week, 30 minutes or something like So it was Literally. something very minimal. Yes. Obviously, you know, it's exercise has more benefits than just that. And there's emotional sure. benefits too. So it's fun to exercise every day, but I don't think we need to exercise as hard as maybe some of the media is portraying it,
1: you know? Today. No, not at all. And that, again, that goes back to calories in, calories out. It's, it's yeah. the idea of burning things off, which like I tell people like fitness has nothing to do with fat loss. Mm. And I say that to people and it breaks their brains it has something to do with weight loss. Sure. Like this calories in calories out model. I have another podcast that's called how weight loss ruined everything. It's this myopic focus on what does the scale say? So I can feed you a vegan diet and make you run a half marathon every day for 30 days, and you will lose a bunch of weight. Mm-hmm. And then we could put you on a DEXA scanner and realize that you wasted away a ton of muscle, muscle and you yeah. still have too much body fat, but the scale went down and you ate fewer calories. It's like this obsession again, it's a scarcity mindset less, 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 but right. then more, 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 more of exercise so you can burn more calories. Like the idea of doing more so that less calories get into your system is is crazy and but what this comes from it's like the longevity stuff too of fasting is if you look at the way that that caloric studies are done usually they're done in in lab mice right yeah so what they do that people don't realize because they don't tell you this in the studies and, and i can just give you all such citations for this if you want but they feed these animals rodent chow so rodent chow again we go back to this species appropriate diet you would never find this in nature the fat is made of hydrogenated vegetable oils. The, the carbohydrates keto is mostly- cal. <laughs> exactly, It's keto-cal, exactly. It's fucking keto-cal that they're feeding to these lab mice. The carbohydrates is like cellulose. It's like this nasty car. It's just awful. It's all refined. It's all synthetic. doesn't exist that's in nature. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. So, so then what
1: happens, right? You say, and I'll use people calories, like you wouldn't feed this to a mouse, but it'll make more sense for your listeners if I do it this way. So let's say mouse number one has 2,000 calories of- Poisonous rodent chow, which is called food in the study. So, mouse number one gets 2000 calories. Mouse number two gets 1500 calories. Mouse number two lives 15% longer. So, the headlines read caloric restriction increases lifespan. Mm. Did we prove that eating less total calories increases lifespan, or did we prove that eating less fucking poison increases lifespan? Interesting. It, wow. It's
0: madness.
1: And that's what all the longevity studies are done. And when you talk about caloric restriction for longevity, it's done on mice and worms. And they're feeding them nothing that they would ever eat in nature. It doesn't make any sense at all.
0: That's really interesting. Wow. I did not know that. I mean, I'm familiar with a lot of that stuff I've done in my reading, but like I did not realize that that was another variable, which was the food they're eating. It's totally irrelevant. I mean, it's like, wow.
1: It's completely irrelevant. It's, it's literally like saying like one human drank six ounces of bleach a day and the other human <laughs> drank three ounces of bleach a day and the three ounce person lived longer. Therefore, bleach is good for you. Wow. What? what? How do, as long as it's in a small dose, it's good for you. It's really crazy. So yeah, literally, like if you just Google like the Cochrane collaboration is, is kind of my go-to on these giant meta-analyses. It's like mm-hmm. this massive group of people that study studies basically. And uh, yeah, they were talking about the, the horrific rodent chow that it just doesn't make any sense. And a a lot of these nutritional studies, they won't even tell you what's in the rodent chow. Like they just don't tell you. So these other scientists are going, I can't replicate this study that they're claiming caloric restriction is good for lifespan. I can't replicate this study. I don't even know what they fed this animal. Mm -hmm. You know, It's, it's really gnarly.
0: It's so interesting, you know, especially we talk about people counting their calories in this whole topic of caloric restriction, because I think we are increasingly, I mean, we we both joked we had an aura ring because you noticed it yeah. on me because so yeah. you, you're wearing one too. And it's like we are in this culture of increasingly, I guess, monitoring ourselves and getting this constant feedback of, oh, my heart rate is this, my heart rate variability <laughs> is this, my fucking body temperature went up by half a degree today, you know? So it's <laughs> like it feeds into this whole personality issue that I think all of us tend to develop with this culture which is like measure 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 not enough scarcity mode all this stuff and but you know to some extent measurement is useful you know i've i've certainly no stranger to a wide variety of nutritional tests i think i've spent literally thousands of dollars on everything from fucking stool tests to antioxidant tests to all this kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. i think it would be worth talking about it because we we get into there's the there's the side of well, what are you measuring and is it really relevant to <laughs> your journey, to your goals, to all this stuff? Uh, and then also what what is actually useful? Like for example, if I take a, I don't know, let's say MCT oil, right? So like, we'll use the intermittent fasting thing and with the whole like butter coffee in the morning and having MCT oil, So you're increasing your ketones and you're getting more ketosis and all this stuff and you're burning fat and all these things, but it's like, okay, really, how can you measure that? You know, if you look at most the keto meters they're most of them are not really uh reliable you know so it's like unless you get like maybe some iv blood or something but you know so it's like all these supplements too like i'm into the anti-aging stuff i take a shit ton of supplements of course i'm kind of neurotic about it but to some extent also i've really drawn back on a lot of the choices that i used to make because simply you can't measure it like there's you know c60 uh whatever carbon 60 in the mm-hmm. oil that you can you know people doing that but it's like okay how can i measure that how can i measure the impact <sighs> of that on my body like okay i could i could do i do a spectra cell every couple months to see what that's all about to see general antioxidant stuff but i take a lot of stuff to help my body recover from oxidative stress and repair and all this stuff so it's like okay to some extent how do you actually know that what you're doing is useful? That's number one, and number two is, are you measuring <laughs> even the right things? Because again, you shouldn't be obsessing about, oh, my heart rate variability was seventy five today, yesterday it was ninety five. What does that mean? Oh my God, there's a twenty point difference, you know so yeah, what's your perspective on all this stuff? i mean we're we're living in an increasingly obsessive age, you know with measurement and testing.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of confusion and it's all, it's all always goal driven for me. So like one, every time I make a plan, it's different than the last person's plan. Like I've never made the same I make custom nutrition plans with my clients and I've never made the same one twice. It just doesn't happen. Right. So it's all goal dependent, but then there is like going down the rabbit holes. Like I used to take 60 pills a day of supplements. Right. I don't do that anymore. And that's just because I've spent the last two years doing deeper research. I'm like, huh, interesting. Like I could point you to studies where they literally supplemented 600 grams a day of specific antioxidants. And at the end of an eight week study, the antioxidants inside the human body changed exactly zero versus Mm -hmm. control groups that had zero antioxidants, you know, so it's most of the antioxidant capacity in your body is endogenous. Your body creates its own antioxidants. So your Mm -hmm. body creates glutathione and things like that. There are these precursors that you can try to take to increase that antioxidant output, but it doesn't really seem to ring true. So I think a lot of people, it's like Tim Ferriss is a saying of there's no biological free lunch. Right? So a lot of people are trying to take these, or like sulforaphane is, is a big one that people talk about where it seems to have these kind of anti-cancer benefits. But when you really stop and think about it, chemotherapy has anti-cancer benefits. You wouldn't take chemo drugs as a healthy person. It doesn't make any sense because it's going to destroy healthy cells as well. Well, sulforaphane does the same thing. So just because you have a study that says this supplement is shown to kill cancer cells, that doesn't necessarily mean you should take it if you don't have cancer. And then you have these downstream effects of like sulforaphane is extremely goiterogenic. People can literally develop goiter just from taking a sulforaphane supplement. It happens all the time. You can Google people's anecdotal stories of like, I tried sulforaphane and now I have a goiter, right? So the thing about supplementation is you really need to be willing to do a lot of research in this. You need to be willing to dig deep um, Another thing you can do is like Dr. Anthony J does DNA analysis. I was
0: going to say, yeah, the genes play a huge part in everything.
1: Yeah. I'll show you a great example, man. Um, I had my genetic test done and I tracked my sleep with an Aura ring yeah. and I've always struggled with getting enough deep sleep. And he was like, man, grab this $15 GABA supplement. So like I got it on Amazon, just GABA 750 milligrams. And I took it. And literally increased my deep sleep by like an astronomical amount. Like it was, it was insane. Like through the roof. And I tried it again the next night, deep sleep through the roof, tried it again the next night, deep sleep through the roof, stop taking it deep sleep back to where it used to be. Like this is literally this tiny little capsule. This is crazy. And then he was explaining to me that um, melatonin does the same thing for some people. Mm. So he had me and I love biohacking and experimenting. So he had me get 10 milligram doses of melatonin, which is a massive dose. That's a lot. Yeah. So I experimented with 10 milligrams of melatonin murders my deep sleep, my deep sleep just went through like through the floor, terrible deep sleep. And melatonin is a known sleep aid for people, right? Mm. So then some people would take GABA, and it would crush their deep sleep and take the melatonin and their deep sleep would go through the roof, right? So again, it's this one size fits all thing. And the other thing I want to talk about with supplements that I think is very important is most people are taking supplements again, if we go back to species appropriate diet, these are what I call hyperphysiological doses, so, just because let's say 250 milligrams of vitamin C may be beneficial, people then take 5,000 milligrams a day. Right. This is, your body doesn't know what the hell to do with this, hmm. you know? And that's what's happening is if you look at multivitamins. It's like, now the RDA is piss poor. Like, I think like if you look into RDA for, for vitamins, you want to hit like three to six times that yeah. depending on your athletic performance. They're not designed for optimal things.
0: health. They're designed to barely skirt disease.
1: I mean, they're not even... Exactly. That's yeah. it to stop you from getting diseases. Right. So there's like the RDA and you obviously want to multiply that by many times, but then, I mean, you really have these situations where it's like, if you take a, like a five hour energy drink, right. It is like 6,000% of your daily B12. It's literally just a B shot. Yeah. I think it's either B12 or B6. I can't remember. I think but it's, it's just
0: couple these- B, B vitamins. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just this massive hyperphysiological dose. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, holy crap. Why do I feel amazing? This is insane. Like, but there's going to be a downstream effect to that too, like a cortisol mm-hmm. spike or whatever, or even you were talking about MCT oil, right? Like, think about it this way in nature. Like, let's say brain octane, or like, there's a lot of people make this strict C8 MCT oil, yeah. which is basically an exogenous ketone. Yeah. So it can put you into ketosis. There's a thermic effect of it where it actually raises your basal metabolic rate, So that's why like some people get like kind of anxious on MCT oil or they get hungry because their body's burning more calories because their basal metabolic rate, the the amount of energy they burn at rest goes up because of the Mm. thermic effect of the MCT oil. But now think about it in nature. So C8 MCT exists in a coconut. But do you know know what you would have to do to get two tablespoons of MCT oil in nature? You can't even get C8 without modern day technology and extraction methods. Mm. It's impossible. You can't do it. Right? So again, a hyperphysiological dose that exists nowhere in nature. There are some brands of supplements right now that are trying to make, that was actually my approach with, with paleo powder. Mm. So I made paleo powder. Everyone was doing collagen peptides. But it's like, here's 10 grams of collagen protein and stevia. And I'm like, where would you ever find that in nature? You wouldn't. So then I combined vitamins, minerals, plants, antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, probiotics and prebiotics, plus the collagen peptides. So it has healthy fats, complex carbs, prebiotic dietary fiber. All in the same thing. I tried to just make this thing that might exist in nature. This is what mm. a whole meal might look like in nature. And it's not in like massive hyperphysiological doses. It's, like it's good stuff. 50. Yeah, I
0: checked, out, I checked out the powders. You have really good stuff. Thanks, so, man. I appreciate yeah, I, that. I, I don't say that lightly. I'm like super neurotic about ingredients. So you, you have really good quality stuff.
1: Yeah. It was the old like entrepreneur story of like, what's a pain point. I was like, well, wow, yeah. I've been taking protein powders since I was 15 in a very unhealthy way.
0: And most of those things are such garbage. God, it's oh. just like just whey and sugar. And it's just all kinds of additives and crap. It's, it's crazy what people put in their bodies.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Or you start looking at pre-workouts and stuff and it's just all these numbers. <laughs> it's like blue, number 45, yellow, <laughs> number 15. You're like, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's gnarly, man.
0: You know, it's, I read an article when I was looking up MCT oil and just trying to figure out, cause again, I was feeling hungry on it and and, yeah. and initially it was like, Oh, take it. So you're not hungry. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, literally I'm getting more hungry. And one of the articles I found is like this very uh, like fringe article blog on health. And stuff. it was very interesting, but the guy was talking about how his uh, VDR gene, which is vitamin D receptor kind of uptake, you know, you're, Everybody has variation on that, whether they can uptake vitamin D poorly or regularly or well. Anyway, based on his gene, uh, MCT oil actually gave him heart palpitations because he was taking vitamin D in the morning. Hmm. And since vitamin D is fat soluble with the MCT oil, it was like going hyperdrive. And of of course, based with his gene, it was like too much vitamin D in his system all at once in his blood. And so that was giving him heart palpitations. So such an, it's just a random story, just a random fact. But again, it's, it points to just the importance of knowing your genes and your gene landscape. I think that's going to become increasingly more important in making decisions. You know, that one thing I've been so struck by is just the sheer amount of conscientiousness we need to employ today in order to live an optimal life because we live in such an unnatural fucking environment. I mean, it's like yeah. literally. We talked about food and and that whole thing, but I mean, just toxins. How much toxins you have? I take a lot of different tests to evaluate the toxin burden on my body, and it's like. I think the most recent one I took was like in December. I mean, right now it's what is it? Late February, right? That's where mm-hmm. the, we're doing the interview. I took it, it's like you get mold toxins, glyphosate, you have fucking bromide in my body. I'm like, God damn it, like where the fuck is this shit from? But it's like yeah. you are you are constantly bombarded and you think you're eating healthy, exercising, and doing all these things and taking supplements. But in reality, there's a lot more shit going on that you have to constantly do research and constantly make conscientious decisions about because again, it's you're living in a totally altered environment. And unless you take control, that default will just ride you like a wave and you'll become another statistic in my opinion. A
1: hundred percent. And that's the thing about the, the I, I don't want to just keep harping on like ancestral and species appropriate and all that, but it's the modern day environment is so broken. Like you're driving home from work and you're breathing in brake dust. You know, it's yeah. like little things that you don't even think about. Or like I was playing at a, a dueling piano bar in downtown Nashville for 10 years. So on the tail end of that, that time at that bar, I was very healthy. I was already running Clovis and all these things. And um, I was testing positive for heavy metals in my blood. Mm. Like what? Like my house, I have a whole house filter I'm in the infrared sauna every day. I have a separate filter for my drinking water. Like it's toxin free. All the, the cleaning supplies I use, everything talks free. like, where the hell is this coming from? Right. And I didn't even think about it. And one day it clicked. Oh my God, when I'm at work, I'm, the bartenders give me water out of the gun, the bar wow. gun, and that water had lead in it. Wow. Right? It's like all this little shit, man. It's impossible to like totally protect yourself. And that's the thing why, like I'm not anti-supplement at all. And a lot of people, when they, when they first start working with a functional medicine doctor and do blood work and all this, that's the thing, get the blood work done, see yeah. what you need, do the testing, put up the money, do the testing and see what you need. Cause a lot of people in the beginning of their journey, they're going to need a shitload of support. Cause the body's so broken, but the idea you is that to, you
0: really like that. Yeah. So, I really? mean,
1: I am a, a, just a monster with blood work. Like I do yeah. extensive blood work every three months. So once a quarter, and that's everything from a full NMR lipid profile to a yeah. comprehensive metabolic panel. I test vitamin D. I do a full thyroid panel. Um, what else? I mean, I even I even test uh, plant sterols in my blood, but I literally test just everything. I go crazy with it.
0: What's the plant sterols for? Is that for the like estrogenic effect from the plants or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is my plant sterols always come in, in in a, in a perfectly normal range. And it's not a very, not a a thing that's regularly tested for. It was Mm -hmm. only because my, so, you know, full disclosure, my doctor is like the most famous carnivore doctor on the planet right now. His name is Paul Saladino. Um, he's known as the carnivore MD but he's also the most brilliant biochemist I've ever talked to. Like he's just, he knows so much about human metabolism and dude, I have worked with a lot of high level people. What do you do if your plant sterols
0: are up? You just cut them
1: out. You have to cut them out because they only come from plants. So his whole thing is we go back and forth and we debate each other and talk shit because I am never going to give up black coffee. <laughs> so He's like coffee and tea has all these sterols there's these plant sterols and they mimic cholesterol, right? Like they mimic the, the sterols that should be in your body and they can confuse the system the same way that like lectins, or gluten, like these proteins that can mimic proteins in the body and make an autoimmune response happen. They just can kind of trick the system. Um, so we always test my sterols and I just laugh because they're in the normal range and he can't be mad at me about my black coffee.
0: It's interesting because we think that plants, I think there's a misconception again, adding to the list that we've covered of like just dietary misconceptions that plants are here to feed us, but really plants are here to make more fucking plants. Like yeah. yeah, they're very nutritious, absolutely. But there's a role in steaming and cooking and all these things that we've been doing for ages because mm-hmm. plants plants evolved a lot of things to keep other Beings from consuming them and ruining their chances for reproduction. They're not just here to be food for...
1: (laughs) No. They have an arsenal of weapons. It's it's really, really nasty. And that's the thing. We've lost track with that as well. It's like, mm. you know, if we look at tomatoes, right? Like if you're in a hospital and a hospital wants to elicit an immune response in you, they're going to give you an injection and that injection is going to be an extract of tomato because 100% of people have an immune response to this. Right? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy to think about. And then we go back and people say like, well, Italians, you know, they've been eating tomatoes for years. Yep. They boil the shit out of them. They peel them. First of all, they peel them, deseed seed them, boil the shit out of them and then smash them to bits before they ever end up in their mouth. And then we're here in America with like, I want my raw kale salad with 10 cherry tomatoes on top of it that are all raw and GMO and whatever. Like it's just we go crazy with this or the same thing. Like when you talk about centenarians and the Okinawans in Japan, you're never going to catch them eating white rice hmm. because the brand of the rice just includes all these different toxins. That's why they, they, they always have bowls of white rice. White rice is basically straight dextrose. It's like almost hundred yeah. percent glucose, you know, but there or beans people that people soak beans overnight and then boil them at very high temperatures. And now we got people who just will pick up a can of black beans from the grocery store and a BPA containing metal and, crack it open, pour it in a can and microwave it and eat it. And like, while well, the Mediterranean's eat beans and you're like, man, <laughs> this is mental. Misinformation like, to the max, man. Yeah. So what we're doing is like, you're talking about is yes, we live in an, in an unnatural environment. hundred percent. I, I have a ring light on me right now. That's like super unnatural. It looks like the sun and my body's confused <laughs> by it. You know what I mean? So it's super unnatural, but why just continually stack the deck against yourself? Mm. If, if the, the biggest lever you can pull is eat a species appropriate diet. Like if you're going to be breathing in brake dust and artificial light and your phone is shining blue light in your eyeballs and giving you a dopamine hit a hundred times a day, then why also eat the Krispy Kreme and the diet Coke? Why like really think about the risk reward there. But the other issue, then you go into the psychological stuff where people are not living their best lives or not living their most aligned lives. So I try to tell people and it's hard to tell them, but it's like if, if the frosty that you get on your way home from work, is from Wendy's is the best part of your day. You're fucking doing it wrong, man. We got to reanalyze everything
0: that should not be the best part of your day. Yeah. What's the mindset decision? What's the mindset that led to that decision? And, yes. and how, how does that need to change first before you change your weight? I think mean, we're so yeah. focused on weight, but
1: well, dude, 80 plus percent of people right now in America report that not only do they not like their job, but their job act- actively deters their happiness. 80%. How broken can a system get? 88% of people have metabolic dysfunction, which Isn't is some it? form of insulin resistance.
0: Isn't it some, uh, I think I read some statistic, like the average office worker, like a nine to five, the amount of actual work they do is like 40 minutes or something.
1: <laughs> yes. It's literally like four. I think it's 44 minutes. Yeah. I've, I've read yeah. that same statistic. It's baffling. That's and it's so crazy, crazy too. Like, like my little sister is like one of my best friends. I love her to death. And we always talk about this stuff. And she, like, I'm always on her about it. And she laughs. She's like, Oh yeah. Like obviously like her boss won't listen to this podcast or anything. I hope, but she's just like, I literally watch YouTube. She's like, yeah. Like sometimes someone will call and I have to like answer the phone and do something.
0: <laughs> she's oh, like, right. but I
1: watch YouTube <laughs> at work. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like what the hell are we doing?
0: You know? I used to God. I, I remember I was an intern in college for this like big financial company i won't say the name but uh it was so terrible but people would call and you know people would call and you would get their address yeah out of boredom i would google earth (laughs) (laughs) while they're while they're verifying their information you know it's supposed to show you like when you call like what what they're actually doing yeah we would google earth their like oh wow this person's got a really nice fucking house like look at this yeah man (laughs) So yeah it's it's terrible well anything coming up for you that's uh, exciting any cool projects
1: yeah so i'm actually uh, i have a new powdered formula that's going to release and i'm also releasing a new product that i've never done before called clovis essential electrolytes Um, so i'm doing an electrolyte blend that i'm really really excited about because electrolytes are another thing
0: from like a mainstream product
1: Yeah. Okay. So electrolytes are, are madness in mainstream. It's really, really crazy. So I'm a firm believer in supplementing electrolytes, particularly like the way that the kidneys work and insulin and glucose in the system. Like long story short, when, if you make a switch to a low carbohydrate diet, you're going to dump sodium. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of that people think there's a keto flu again, internet keto doesn't know what they're talking about. They're like, Oh, you're detoxing from sugar. No, you have an electrolyte deficiency. Mm. So people will get headaches or whatever. Like someone will be like, Oh, Justin, I started Clovis and I have a headache and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, drink 16 hours, ounces of water and put a half teaspoon of Redmond real salt or pink Himalayan salt in it. They're like, my headache went away in five minutes. I'm like, yes, exactly. It's a sodium deficiency. You're wow. dealing with an electrolyte problem. But if you look at all these, like, um, liquid IV, or there's another one that's keto called Ultima, whatever, Ultima, your product's bullshit. (laughs) But like, it's literally like 55 milligrams of sodium. Like if you take a quarter teaspoon of salt, you're getting like literally 10 times that amount of sodium. So these electrolyte supplements, it's like, oh, here's literally like 55 milligrams of sodium and six grams of sugar. You're like, you're literally giving people a sugar pill. Or like most people go for their electrolytes. It's like Pedialyte or Gatorade. I deal with this all the time with pro MMA fighters. Garbage. (laughs) Yeah. Like my fighters get off the scale on on weigh-in day and they're drinking salt water and they're, and all these other people are like chugging Pedialyte with 30 grams of sugar and wondering why they feel like shit at their fight. Mm -hmm. You know, it's crazy. So So I'm finally made this electrolyte supplement that is a heavy dose of sodium that has a full gram of sodium. Um, and again, so when we're talking I about check sodium, that out
0: actually, I've been, it's so funny. I've been really looking for an electrolyte good, but like you said, like most of the shit out there that I've found is just garbage. It's all like all sugar. So dude, again,
1: it's just like paleo powder. I'm like, if it's not there, I'm going to make it. Yeah. You know,
0: that's awesome. but, and, and then you
1: have to remember too, like I'm giving you a thousand milligrams, full gram of sodium. So that would actually be two grams of salt because that's sodium chloride. Yeah. So I'm giving you the pure sodium. So people don't realize that it's like, and the American heart association. I mean, like if you take the American Heart Association's recommendation for salt, which is less than 1,200 milligrams a day, you are automatically putting yourself in the highest possible bracket in risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And it's from the American wow. Heart Association. It's staggering, and, and the, the scientific data is there to back that up.
0: Yeah, it's we need ridiculous. salt. I mean, salt is especially, like you said, if, you know, I found, too, when, you, when you're stressed out, I mean, if your adrenals are out of balance, you're going to be dumping salt also. So we're mm-hmm. I think, if anything, in a salt deficiency state, but most people have associated salt to MSG and bullshit food when you don't realize that actually like natural salt is, that was like a hot commodity. I mean, that was like super important for our health.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, that's why I call it essential electrolytes too, because like sodium is an essential mineral the yeah. same way that like DHA and EPA are essential fatty acids. So anything that's essential means without it, you die and your yeah. body can't make it by itself. Hmm. so all of a sudden we have an essential mineral that without it you die it's more responsible for hydration in your body than water is responsible Hmm. and AHA tells you to limit it as much as possible it's like me personally I take in probably six to seven grams of sodium a day which would be like 12 grams of salt um because like I sit in an infrared sauna I train jujitsu I swing kettlebells whatever like I sweat a lot yeah and I have to do that you know so that's, that's like the most exciting thing is I have a new powder. Does that, that
0: come out or you're not sure yet? No, I'm probably,
1: I have a ballpark. I'm probably six weeks out. I'm probably six weeks out from, from both the essential electrolytes and the new powder formulation.
0: Sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, going to give myself a bottle. That sounds good stuff. That's oh funny. dude, I'll
1: send you some. It'd be great. Yeah. Super. Well, Perfect for one more question for
0: you, buddy. What are you grateful for today?
1: dude right now i am super grateful for this podcast because i I really (laughs) think yeah i mean i i truly think you know i I tell my clients this all the time because people are really bashful i'm like if you want to change the world just go tell your story Mm -hmm. just story tell which is why i was so attracted when you when you talked to me about your podcast the dance of life and everything man like we couldn't be more aligned on that and I'm super grateful right now to have this platform to just share my story and hope there was a nugget in there that, that somebody will grab onto and go from there.
0: I think there's at least 12 for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, man. Yeah, no, I love it, man. You're so authentic and you, you're really doing good. Your, your values are right on point and yeah, I just love what you're about. I think you, I think you're going far. So it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to to be with you and to, to really spread some very valuable information and education to people. I hope whoever's listening, you know, check all this stuff out. The health is a journey that we have to go on every day, you know? So it's been great, man.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Right back at you. I, I think you're on a great path too. And it'll be fun too. I love making new friends through podcasting too, because then I get to watch your journey and see what you're doing. And yeah, man, and I'm happy to answer any questions anybody might have. It's super easy. To, anything that you need to find me, just the at the Clovis culture on everything. And it's the Clovis culture podcast and all that. So I'm happy to connect them and, and I'm very Literally, I'd give people my email. I'm just Justin at I am Clovis.com and I'm super accessible. So
0: awesome, yeah. We'll put all that stuff in the, the show notes too. Yeah, that'd so be great. Can, I appreciate can that. Reach out to you. So. Cool, cool. All right, all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my good friend Justin. You know, I hope this inspired you guys to really learn about what it takes to build a healthy life, to realize that building a healthy life is a series of questions we have to ask ourselves. And then that leads to a series of decisions that we got to make about our health, our diet, our nutrition. You have to be very intentional. Otherwise, again, you know, we live in a very toxic, very altered world, and you don't want to be at the mercy of that. So get out there, make the right decisions for you. Do your own research. It's very important to be your own researcher these days because, uh, you know, things are always changing and everybody's different. Everybody's genetics different. Everybody's body's different. Everybody's upbringing is different preferences. So do your own research, see what's going to work for you. Make sure you follow Justin at I Clovis.com or Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, the Clovis culture. He's got a lot of great stuff. He's putting out constantly on health and wellness and maintaining weight, diet, all that kind of stuff. He does a lot of ask me anythings as well, which are great a little Facebook lives where you can join and ask them all kinds of cool questions. So make sure you also check out the blog post for this episode, 189, danceoflife.com slash podcast, where you get that free fat loss ebook that uh, Justin is sharing, as well as the coronavirus ebook. So make sure you go download that. If you enjoyed this conversation, share it with somebody. You never know the life you're going to change just with one piece of information in here that could alter someone's course forever hope you are having an amazing day make sure you subscribe and don't forget our initial quote from robert Heinlein: specialization is for insects i won't read the whole thing because it's it's a long quote but specialization is for insects you know we should be an adaptable versatile creature we're not stuck in the destiny of our genes of our programming of our instincts We are change. We are possibility. That's what human beings are all about. This is the message I want you to have in your journey to better health, that your body is a beautiful, dynamic, and powerful machine, and you have the reins. You can control that. You can shape it like clay. So make use of it. Live your life to the best. Your health is the pillar. It's the number one pillar for everything else you want in life. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, make sure you tune in on Tuesday for some Transformation Tuesday. And next Friday, we're going to be jumping into 13 ways to power up your PNS or parasympathetic nervous system. If you don't know what that is, you want to make sure you tune in because it's super, super important for your health. And as always, until then, remember that your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.